high atop our studios in the San Francisco Bay Area, you're listening to Tech Move. This is episode 31. Today's show is a special edition show from Cinegear 2016 in Los Angeles, California. I'm Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. Get ready. It's time for another exciting episode of Tech Move. Let's go! Well, welcome to another special edition of Tech Move. It is your favorites, Rod Louie and Keith Moreau. And this is our special 31st episode, but we're dedicating this to this year's 2016 Cinegear Conference, Cinegear Show. I don't, what do you call it? Is it a conference, Keith? What is this thing? Hmm. I, guess I know, nobody knows, right? It's a show, I think it's, it's a, a conference. Convention? Actually, yeah, it's kind of both. Well, I think it's called a trade show. Trade show? Yeah, but I think typically Does, trade shows... It doesn't shows... have as nice of a sound or, or or feel to that when you just say trade show. You know? Yeah. I'll have but, to ask the uh, my friends at the Cinegear, uh, the officials at Cinegear, to yeah. see what they actually call themselves. Well, uh, well, you know what? Uh, Keith Moreau uh, sacrificed himself. <laughs> Uh, to go to Cinegear this year yes. and uh, and really get down in the trenches and really get some really spectacular interviews for myself and our listening world. And uh, Keith, how was the show? It was really a blast. Really? Where it was, really where was it at? Let's start with that. Where, where, where was it at? Well, um, it was actually at uh, the Paramount Studios in Hollywood. In Eastern okay. Hollywood, okay, or Central Hollywood, because um, there's a, there's a place called West Hollywood, and then yes. there's a Hollywood, and so I guess it's like Eastern Central Hollywood, and you know this is like the heart of the movie making industry, and Paramount Studios has been around forever. Like these sets, some of these sets I think are fifty to one hundred years old, maybe they're really yep. old. Yep. Yeah, um, and it's 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 really it's it's cool because it's it's like it's being inside this movie set right with all these facades and you go into these buildings and you look at them and they're all kind of empty except for maybe like a wooden stairway so that the, the gaffers can set up their lights and things inside to blast light out or set up scenes or whatever and um and then there's other little kind of some of the studios are there are these huge concrete auditoriums with huge ceilings large ceilings and all this uh lattice work on the top of the near the ceiling so people can rig their lights and just a big blank concrete area and some of them have sound um, absorbent material on the walls right so they're huge auditoriums but then you go in there and you feel kind of like you're in a recording studio it's oh, like really very, yeah it's very it's it's not echoey like an auditorium would be yeah so so that and it was kind of funny because it was really hot outside it was one of the hotter days i think of the year there yes these two days and some of the some of the vendors were in full sun with their gear, like their gear was melting and they were melting, <laughs> and their their stuff was malfunctioning because it was so hot. Like the came the came TV folks, <laughs> right? Um, which I visited, uh, they 
they, they were melting, you know, and there's, I think their stuff it was, was pretty unbearable. Yeah. And they were, and they're, I don't know, they're probably from a cooler climate or something. Cause they were just really sweating. It was, it was amazing, but they were very, they were cool and nice. And, um, not not literally cool, but they are <laughs> <laughs> and 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 then other people were kind of in the shade, and then and then some of the indoor studio, uh, the, uh, the ones that were set up inside this this these huge, auditorium sized studios, they they had it good because they had air conditioning, right? And and they had it kind of nice, and then some of them had a lot of them had like free beers and soft drinks and and coolers and things like that. They were just dispensing. As long as you got your badge scanned or you, you talked to a salesperson and got a little ticket, you could, you know, live it up. So the, some of these places are just like open bar, you know. Right. Or hosted bar or whatever it's called when you get sure. free drinks. Sure. So, um, yeah, so it was really it was really fun. And then to do it with Veronica was fun. She had a great time. She's learning how to do this stuff and kind of, kind of interested in the equipment and gear. She she, And she kind of adds a, like a little sparkle to you know, because a lot of these people that are these vendors and stuff, they're guys, you know, so they like see this cute girl and they're like a little bit, you know, behind the camera. So it's a little, they're like a little bit more on or something. So it kind of adds something to it. Sure. And, sure. <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, so what I decided to do this year was instead of going wired, because I was always kind of afraid of going wireless, even though I have all the wireless stuff, because I always inevitably, especially when I'm in an environment that's really dense in RF, I invariably get dropouts and bad reception. Right. Um, but I had done just done a thing in New York where I'd done where I'd done uh wireless. And I just saw I have this little Sennheiser thing that plugs it's got an XLR female and it plugs into the end of my mic. Mm-hmm. Um C one one thousand AKG. Um and I, and I just mount the receiver. Um uh, in the case in New York, uh for another gig, I just mounted the receiver right to my camera mm-hmm. um on the hot shoe and then just put a little eighth inch into the into the audio and the camera and it worked great. I said, you know, I'm going to try that at Cinegear and see how that works. But I still brought my XLR just in case. Right. So I brought a Just cable. as a backup. Yeah, as a backup. So for the most part, the wireless system worked great. And so what I did was, so we were recording on an iPad, unbelievably. We're just recording HD on an actual iPad, just using the built-in lens and stuff. Yeah. Nothing fancy. Right. Uh, and then I have this really cheap kind of clampy thing that clamps onto the two corners of the iPad diagonally. And then it has a quarter-inch mount quarter 20 mount and then i put a quick release on that rc2 manfrotto quick release and then i have a manfrotto monopod so the the ipad's at the top of this monopod so the monopod's cool because it's really portable you can move it around and then i clamped and then i created this little very very mini clamp a uh, hot shoe mount that just clamped onto the monopod that had a hot shoe receiver on it and then i put my sennheiser uh receiver onto that mm-hmm. and then just had a little uh XLR output of that, and then it went into my XLR adapter that went into the iPad. And the Very actual, nice. Yeah, and it was really compact and cool, and it was just amazing because there's like these $50,000 rigs all over the place. People are running around, and and nobody cared about those things. Everybody wanted to know, ask Veronica, what was this thing that they were, that she was using to record Oh, is that these? right? They oh. were, they were, they were asking you guys? Yeah. They were, there were so wow. many people that asked, what is this? This is so cool. How did it's so, and all these people are struggling and sweating in the hot sun with their massive gear and rigs and things. And Veronica and I were just going with these two little things <laughs> right. recording and just right. setting up instantly and recording instantly wirelessly. And, and, um, yeah, and so the system worked amazingly well. On, on the software that I used on the iPad, it's called Filmic Pro. 
which okay. if you're doing any kind of video recording on, on iOS devices, Filmic Pro, it's, it's great. Um, it, it allows you to do a lot of custom settings and decide what inputs to use and how, the, the standard of recording, like the frames per second and stuff like that. So it's actually, and you can set different points for exposure as well as focus and, and then lock them. So it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty darn cool. The only time where the RF failed was um, at the Blackmagic design uh, interview because right next to him was this company that sold dimmers for gigantic lights. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I think those dimmers put out a lot of RF. And and like we tested it out and, and we we're just noticing uh, we're getting a lot of static. Oh, really? So like 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 the signal to noise was like zero. It was just that we couldn't even hear m stuff. Wow. So um, yeah, so I just we just f switched over to the XLR at that point, um, and that worked fine. So, so, so that, being able to interchange between the two was n not much of a problem. It was a little kind of a pain, uh, just because you had to un unplug a few things and, and then sure. undo this little cable. But honestly, no, nah, it was like so easy compared to some of the other setups that I saw of right. of other interviewers doing right. stuff. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. So yeah, so very easy, simple setup. Um, you know, it's not like we're, we're just putting this stuff on YouTube for our podcast. So people, if they want to watch, can watch the main thing is the audio got recorded really well. Right. The setup amazingly records audio very well. Um, although the first day I did a little, got a little overdriven with, um, uh, with Jeremy and mm. a little bit with Matthew. Cause I just hadn't, I didn't really set up the gain structure that well okay. with this, with this, um, particular combination of things. So I was, I think right. I was overdriving the input to the iPad. So I had to turn down the output of the Sennheiser a little bit. Okay. Um, but um, I don't think you noticed it too much with Jeremy. No, I, I and frankly, I, I thought that it sounded great and it even looked pretty good. I mean, you know, of course, at certain points when, when things were dark and stuff like that, didn't really pick up that great. Got a little noisy, yeah. A little, little bit noisy, but as far as the sound goes, I think our listeners will uh, enjoy that. And, uh, you know, that's uh, what we like to pride ourselves on anyway. Yeah, and I'm always amazed at how isolating the c1000 is the, the ikg because yeah. it's noisy in these places yeah oh stuff going oh, oh, on all, all that ambient noise that's around They're, these are very big rooms and stuff like that yeah and like for, for example veronica who's actually um you know doing the recording so she's standing maybe five to seven feet back from us being doing the interview she can't even hear what we're saying like yeah. if she takes off her headphones, she can't hear us oh sure yeah sure. so it's that noisy so i'm just yeah. amazed how isolating that mic is it's really I really love that mic. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah. Okay. Well, so anyway, that's so that's great. that's the tech that we used. Yeah. And and um, what else? Um, so yeah, so we just do we we just went around the show uh, on Thursday, kind of. I mean, on Friday, uh, that was Friday and Saturday, the only two days of the show, and we kind of scouted what we wanted to do, and I took pictures of the of different exhibits that I wanted to interview later. And just kind of made a list of what stuff that I personally was interested in, or maybe I owned or had some interest in. Sure. So yeah, so that was pretty cool. I <laughs> okay. So something that happened, my Came TV single died. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It it died. Uh, just one day. How does it die? I mean, outside of battery not working or or motors not working, is is that what happened? Uh, honestly, I don't know. Well, okay. So the the behavior was that. Like you turned it on, but the lights went on, but then it was almost like there was no power, like like there was just no power getting to the motors. Okay. So part of it was working. The part that 
turns the little lights on that are on a couple places on it. But other than that, there was just nothing. So I, I, they actually were really quick about helping me troubleshoot it through email and stuff. I sent them a video of what was happening and this is all remote cause they're in China. So it takes a little, there's a little lag, yeah. but, um, very, they're very, very helpful troubleshooting and very responsive. And, you know, I, I said, you know what, I'd rather not have to connect this to my computer and do some troubleshooting cause I, I'd rather just not take the time. I'm going to be at Cinegear in LA. Can I give this to you guys there? Cause I know you guys are going to be there. Can mm-hmm. I just give you to you to try to reprogram it yourself and it doesn't work. You could take it back to China and fix it and send it to me. And they said, yeah, sure. We'll do that. Mm-hmm. So I met, I brought my, my, uh, came TV gimbal, I think on Saturday morning to, to Dave, uh, David, uh, Wang of, of, uh, came TV who had interviewed last time. Yep. And he tried it out. He said, okay, give me, you know, I'll, I'll give me to the end of the day to let you know. And if not, we'll take it back to China to, fix it mm. and so i came back later that day and he had not he said you know it's not, it might be the controller board not sure what it is but we're gonna t- i'm gonna take it back with me we're gonna have our engineers fix it and we'll send it to you it's fixed so they were really nice about it so it kind of saved me a little time and postage oh yeah definitely yeah. yeah that's great but yeah. you haven't gotten it back yet i haven't gotten it back they they just notified me just now that uh they were sending it to their tech team to figure it out and i gave i'm actually not going to be around here uh, I'm going to be going to Maui for for business and pleasure starting June 20th. Uh, so they're going to probably going to just send it directly to Maui because I can use it in Maui for for the shoots there. Oh great! Yeah. So Good. yeah. So um, that was the kind of uh, you know intro to Cinegear 2016. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know we have a lot of interviews to share with our uh, with our listening world. Yeah. And I think uh, we should kind of get to it uh, so that we can uh, not make this a five-hour episode. Um, it still so, might be. <laughs> yeah, which it still might be. But, uh, hey, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of good information. So let's do this. Keith, let's, uh, uh, let's stop here. Let's reset. Let's start our first series of, uh, of interviews. And, uh, and the, the Tech Move world can enjoy and live vicariously through you when uh, you went to Cinegear and uh, we can all hear of all these great updates um, that we could not join you uh, with. So, uh, anywho, okay, we're going to stop, reset, and we'll come back with our first interview of uh, Cinegear 2016 along with Rod and Keith right here on Tech Move. Well, for our first interview segment that we're going to present to you here on Tech Move, we have a veteran cameraman. Uh, his name is Jerry Marzacco, and Jerry has been in the business for a long time, and Keith had the uh, great fortune to be able to sit down and, and discuss some uh, a little bit of his history, a little bit of his thoughts of uh, today versus yesteryear, Uh Keith, any anything to elaborate on the Jerry Marzacco uh, talk before we actually play the interview? Uh, not really, other than 
he was a really nice person. We actually just met waiting in this really long, hot, uh, unpleasant line <laughs> leading to the synagogue. And, and, and the, the tech move press credentials did not work to get us to the head of the line. We had to wait with all the other riffraff in the line. <laughs> and so that was kind of disappointing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sending a, a very strong letter to the Sinegar folks. I, 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 uh, I would appreciate that. And, and I will also send a 8x10 glossy of myself <laughs> to, to add to the legitimacy of how poorly they treated you. So Well, well we don't want to be completely barred from Sinegar next right. year. So I don't exactly. know. But uh, anyway, so it was, but it was actually kind of fun because he was just right behind us. And so we got into this long, ridiculously long line that was in the sun. And it was like 100 degrees that day in L.A. And it was just full sun. Yeah. And, and it was just right along this really narrow sidewalk that's bordering the, the Paramount Studios, one of the entrances. Okay. It was kind of like the back entrance to Paramount Studios. They didn't, they didn't let us in the front entrance this time. Right. And, and just all leading to this teeny little door that had some security. So I, I, I left Veronica there to wait in line and I went to the front. Just, this is impossible. We're tech move. We're press. We shouldn't right. have to wait. And I, and I went to the security and I said, yeah, sorry. Unless you're a VIP, you have to, if you have even near press, you just oh. have to go in the wait in line. Yeah. Uh, how so. absolutely disrespectful <laughs> that is. I am appalled by this. Yeah. I didn't have an eight by 10 of you, but I had a little, you know, wallet photo of you and I showed it to, and it just, I showed it to them. It just didn't, have and it did, didn't have no. the same. Well, no. see, unfortunately, you have the uh, photograph of me for my eighth grade graduation. <laughs> oh, darn! So no, you're that's right. the that's the reason why. So unfortunately, yeah. that's the that's why. Well, look, hey, enough of this nonsense. Let's Forget. get to the uh, let's get to the interview. This is Keith Moreau uh, speaking with veteran cameraman Jerry Marzacco, and uh, he spends a great deal of time with us. So let's give this a listen right here on Tech News. We're going to be talking like this to each other. Yeah, exactly. Hi, Jerry. Hi. <laughs> okay, are we recording? Okay. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move here at Cinegear 2016. Actually... Jerry, I forgot your last name. It's Marzacco. This is Jerry Marzacco, and we actually met Jerry in the long, hot uh, line to Cinegear 2016. Uh, so we made friends. The line was so long, they were like lifelong friends now. And uh, so Jerry is a camera operator and cinematographer in Hollywood, and he's done like, tons of stuff. And so we talked about gear, we talked about what he's done, and, and so I'd like Jerry to introduce himself and tell me a little bit about what he's done. Yeah, hi. Um, my name is Jerry Marzacco. I've been a camera operator uh, pretty much since I started in the business in around 1980. So, like, about 36 years. Long time. Um, I've done live sports. I've done documentaries. I used to fill in on Seinfeld. I did a show for Disney this year called Walk the Prank, which is a hidden camera prank show. I did some sea camera days on Aquarius uh, this season and it's going to start airing in June. Um, so yeah, I've done a lot of episodic. I've never really done uh, features. I've always worked in, in television, uh, television commercials, live sports, documentaries. So, But they're, they, they're pretty much all the same. It's just you don't have quite as much time in television as you have on a feature. That's great. So, uh, so Jerry, what brings you to Cinegear this year? Oh, I always like to come and see the new toys. Um, it's, it's really interesting in just the last few years as digital has taken over 
uh, for film, how you used to see a whole bunch of film cameras, and I swear to God, I have not seen one film camera here today, one 35-millimeter camera. It's all, you know, the Aerial Lexus, the Sony cameras, like the, the F-55s, and uh, I mean, it's, you know, that's where the business is going. I mean, film, I hate to see it go, but... It is what it is. You know, the, the business hasn't changed in the sense that it's still image acquisition, uh, but the electronic image has gotten so good that, uh, you know, film really just can't compete anymore. Um, just too bad. I mean, I miss, the, I miss loading film. I miss the feel, the, the uh, aesthetics of it. Um, but, you know, digital is, uh, is where the development money is being spent. And now that Fuji and Kodak can't sell you, you know, a foot and a half of film for a few dollars to put in your 35 millimeter camera anymore, there's no way for them to make money making film. So they pretty much, you know, stopped developing camera stocks while, you know, these cameras, I mean, like the Aerial Lexus native 800 uh, ISO, I mean, you know, with, with no grain, which is incredible. And, and there's cameras that you can get there, uh, I, I'm not, I can't remember the name of it, but you know, it, it, you can turn it up to like 5,000 ISO. You can practically shoot in the dark. So, uh, you know, electronics keeps progressing. It, gets, keep, it keeps getting better, faster, and cheaper. So, you know, uh, we all just have to change with the times. So, Jerry, um, were you also, in, in the film days, were you also loading film? Yeah, I, I, I was a, a, a loader and a camera assistant and, you know, sweating in inside a bag as people were waiting for the film and oh god if i you know because you have to do it all by feel you can't just open up the bag and look um and uh, depending on whether you were shooting like back in those days if we shot commercials we often shot 400 foot loads which only gives you a little over four minutes so we were changing a lot of mags and um you know it's uh you, you miss it but at the same time uh you know, that, that part of the business is pretty much going away. You know, people don't start as a loader anymore, even if that, that's still a category. You know, you're going to start, uh, you know, handing camera cards out and, or, you know, become a digital imaging technician, I guess. Yeah, your, your job now is to take that little card and put it into the computer and copy it to the hard drive. No, that's actually not my job. My job is actually to, to walk away from the camera while the DIT does that so I don't screw anything up. My job is to keep the actors in the frame, give the director what he wants, and, uh, and uh, you know, try to make sure that I don't do anything stupid so the AC doesn't lose focus. But uh, when it comes to changing cards, no, normally the DITs get paid to do that. We would just as soon let them do that because the last thing you want to do is be responsible for pulling out a card and somehow screwing everything else up. Let the guy that's actually getting paid as a DIT screw that up. I got enough things I can screw up on my own. So uh, I, I actually interviewed this other um, cinematographer a while back on Tech Move, and he had a horror story where he actually uh, opened up a can uh, when, when the light was on in, in, the, in the loading truck or whatever he was doing. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Well, actually, what's happened to me, it's, it's, I used to work with a, a cinematographer who was trained you know, in the BBC, and one of his uh, favorite jokes was always to have a dummy can of film loaded up so after a particularly hard or late shoot 
somebody would come out and accidentally trip and that film can would spill open and the thing would go you know in front of the agency and clients eyes and they're all freaking out going oh my god we just spent all this time and money getting the shot and then everybody would laugh no no this is a joke and then everybody was really relieved but actually I, I had one time I was using a uh, shooting a MIDI music video up in in a train yard in San Francisco or one of those roundabout things you could turn and I hadn't used the camera before. I think it was an Aton 16 millimeter, and somehow one of the mags ended up being wound too tight, so the film was jittery when we got the got it back from processing. But the director really liked the look, so what could have been a really horrible thing was something they thought was really cool. It was one of those lucky accidents. Normally, it would have been, oh Christ, we'll never work in this town again. But uh, it was a lucky accident. So no, I've I've, I've really been been pretty lucky, you know, all in all. No disaster stories. No, no major disasters. At least they were my fault. I've been, no, 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 nobody in the industry is going to watch this podcast. So, so you can, you could just go ahead. Let, let, let us know about the the worst disaster that ever happened to you. No, really, that's that's pretty. That's pretty much it. I've really been, I've really been pretty, pretty lucky. I mean, and this is why Jerry is still employed after thirty years in the industry. Right. That's probably it. Because I mean, as a as an operator, you don't get to make too many mistakes. You know, because you're the one that's physically moving the camera, and if you can't do what they want, you're the you know they're they're making a phone call before lunch and having you replaced. So, and and the same with the first assistant if you're working on you know episodic where you're you have a camera assistant. If you're working on uh, a sitcom on a ped or something like that, you're doing your own focus and stuff like that. So you're responsible for both. But uh, you know, there's different protocols depending on the t- type of stuff you're working on, live sports, things like that. But, you know, staying in focus and, and keeping the talent in the shot is really kind of our job. And if you can't do that, uh, you're pretty quick to get replaced. So I've been pretty lucky that I've been able to do that. Yeah, don't screw up like me if you want to be a 30-year camera operator. Um, so, so, Jerry, when we were in line, you talked about checking out some of the new cool gear. So what kind of new cool gear have you seen here? Well, I think the biggest thing I'm seeing this year is, is how quickly uh, LEDs are taking over. Um, all of the big light banks, uh, the fact that you can change the color temperature on them from uh, tungsten, which is 3200 Kelvin, to daylight, which is 5600 Kelvin. And, and for those of you that don't know the Kelvin scale, it's basically absolute zero is zero Kelvin, where all molecular motion stops. That's considered black. Then you heat the theoretical black body up to 3200 Kelvin. It's kind of a red light. That's what we... Uh, that's what we call 3200 or, or uh, tungsten. You, heard, you heat it up to 5600 Kelvin, it becomes bluer. That's normal daylight. So that's where the Kelvin scale comes from, if you guys, when we bat these terms around. Uh, so, so, Jerry, we actually have a, a segment on our podcast called Put Me in a Coma. And I think you're starting to approach the Put Me in a Coma because nobody has ever talked about black body illumin, uh, illumination before and heating up... Uh, elements to the point where they glow to 3200 Kelvin or 5600 Kelvin. So thank you for that. You've, you've added uh, another little ingredient to our Put Me in a Coma segment. Yeah, for those of you that aren't in a coma and always wondered where those numbers came from, you know, and, and those of you that are in a coma, hey, I can't help that. Uh, anyway, but no, it's just a, the, I, I think this year the biggest thing is, is a lot of the new lighting technology, a lot of um, bulbs that are, are not... Um, tungsten filaments anymore they're they're led bulbs so they're a lot cooler which means you know the the lights will run cooler you don't have to spend as much money powering them 
cabling them. If you're running them in a studio, they don't have to spend as much money on air conditioning. So that's a big, a big cost savings. Uh, you know, they're still pretty pricey, but like anything else, they're going to come down in price. Any, uh, any particular models or brands that you've been intrigued by? Not really, only because everybody's kind of on the bandwagon now. Everybody's coming out with a bunch of products. They're kind of like, okay, LEDs are the things. Let's throw it all out and see what the market is going to do. That's kind of at the stage we're at, I think, with this show. Is it? It's all the cutting-edge gear in terms of you know camera stabilization systems, uh, LED systems, and now it's a matter of putting it out in the marketplace, and you'll find out what stuff gets used, and you know what stuff is going to fall by the wayside. So, as a camera operator, describe briefly what your job actually is. Well, the, the camera operator is the one that's responsible to the director of photography and the director for basically framing the shot, uh, giving the director what he wants, giving the cinematographer the, uh, the confidence that you can make the moves that's required to, uh, you know, get whatever whatever's required, whether it's, a, whether it's a sitcom, whether you're on a dolly and you're being pushed along, whether you're handheld hanging out of a helicopter on a harness, whether you're operating a camera that's, uh, you know, on a crane, uh, you know, you're the one that's physically moving the camera and tracking the actors. So uh, it's the camera operator's job to, to bring the direct, to translate the director's vision into something that the audience actually sees by physically, you know, moving the camera. So you're the person that's actually got their hands on the camera. Hands on the camera, the eye and the eyepiece, basically. The, the Society of Operating Cameramen, their motto is, we see it first. Uh, at least I think that is. I'm not in the SOC. I'm thinking about joining. So if any SOC guys are out there and I screwed it up, I'm sorry. But, uh, but basically, the operator sees it first, you know, and, and everybody else sees a, a vision of what the operator does. So... Now, do you do do you pull your own focus? Do you have somebody else for that? It depends. If you're working on like uh, episodic television, uh, you've got somebody else pulling focus for you. If you're working on uh, a pedestal sitcom where you're moving the camera on a ped, you may be pulling your own focus. Other sitcoms, you have ACs pulling focus for you. It really just depends on the production. You know, most live shows like The Voice or whatever, the, you know, the camera operator is doing their own focus as well. Most live stuff, the operators have to do their focus. So, you know, some people aren't as good at that. I've, I've been doing my own focus for years, so I'm pretty good at it. I still would actually prefer to have an AC pull focus for me if it's episodic. Because, again, you're, everything moves so quick in television. You know, as long as the actor doesn't blow his lines or fall down in the middle of the take, chances are you've got it and you're moving on to the next one. Have you ever had the desire to use autofocus? Um, actually, autofocus is really nice when it works because I've, you know, I've shot with some of the prosumer cameras like the Sony ZU-1. They've got a great autofocus. Um, only problem with autofocus is it sometimes turns around and bites you and, and focuses on the wrong thing. So it's always good to have somebody's eyes uh, on the focus. But, you know, autofocus systems are getting better. Um, you know, it may be that, that we, at some point, there won't be a first AC. I mean, look at the news now. You see, like, backstage on, uh, I don't know, CNN or whatever. The cameras are robotically operated. They're, you know, they're all pre-programmed, so they don't even need camera operators anymore. Um, so, you know, things keep changing. I know, like, with some of the 8K cameras, they just have a, a big, wide 
shot of everything, and then later in post or in their switcher, they'll just focus on the action. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's one way of doing things, and yet, you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure how that works completely because there's going to be a lot of stuff that you're not going to get the nuance, you're not going to get the performance, but then again, we'll just have to see how that evolves. I mean, I know you can do it that way, but that may not be the best way of, of doing things. One of the reasons, even though production has changed in, you know, like transitioning from film to, to digital cameras, the process hasn't really changed. The process of sitcoms are still shot essentially with four cameras the same way they were shot when Desi Arnaz pioneered, you know, the Lucy show back in the 50s, because it works. And episodic is still shot the same way because it works. So, uh, you know, some new techniques may, may give directors and people other options, but I think the reason TV's always been shot the way it has is because they developed a system that works. And it's nice to have new tools and toys to, to get better shots. Like some of these cameras, like the GoPros, you can get amazing shots. Or I watch the Indianapolis 500 and you've got the cameras in the cars you can cut to. So you're able to, uh, you know, to... Um, add to the experience for the audience but the basics of still having wide shots and cars going around the track are still there that that part hasn't changed you know and you still have to have interesting stories and interesting actors um, because it doesn't matter how good a job I do as a camera operator or director does if it's something boring and people don't want to see uh, they're not gonna watch it so any other interesting things besides LEDs you've seen here at the show uh, just some of the new camera stabilization rigs um, and then some of the new you know software things it's uh, you know it's always a surprise every year that somebody's you know invented something and you think oh I wish I would have thought of that it seems pretty simple but you know we've been in the film business for what a hundred years or something like that film's been around and so it's just being invented now so okay I guess it wasn't quite that simple if it took people a hundred years to think of it so that's about it. But it's, it's a good show to come to every year, and I think if anybody is ever in L.A., you know, during Cine Gear and, and uh, is interested in the business, you should, you know, go to their website and sign up. It's, it's definitely worth coming to and seeing. If nothing else, you get to wander around, you know, Paramount's back lot on New York Street where a lot of stuff was filmed, and, you know, the Stage 31 and 32 where the old Star Trek series was filmed. That's all kind of cool. So. It is pretty cool. Well, thanks so much, Jerry, for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, hope you have a, a, the rest of a great, great show. Well, thank you very much, Keith. I, I appreciate it. I've never been on a podcast before, so hopefully I didn't put too many of you to sleep. Thanks a lot. This is Keith Moreau signing off for Cindy Gear 2016. Thank you. Bye-bye. Terrific interview with uh, cameraman Jerry Marzacco. Keith Moreau, thank you so much for doing it. You know, uh, my lasting impression, thank you so much for doing this, Jerry. Mm -hmm. But he filled up for us the put me in a coma segment uh, with, <laughs> with regards to Kelvin. I, I loved it. it it's, it's now, it's, you know, tech move is spreading like a wildfire. Uh, across the universe and the put me in a coma segment of course taking the world by storm fantastic taking the world I, I really like the uh thing about when you heat up a black body uh, up to a certain temperature it glows and then that's what you know that's what kelvin is which is actually true yeah so yeah um you know it's 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 an amazing amazingly coma like you know yeah no it's and, it's terrific 
Yeah, and he, he I liked him a lot. He was he was fun. He's just a guy, you know, he's a guy that carries this camera around. He's the guy that puts his camera on the shoulder and shoots all this great stuff. Well, you know what I love? I, I really love him discussing the old days, you know, film cameras. Oh, yeah. And, and, and versus how, you know, digital is now. I mean, I, I just love the, 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 the illustration of 400 feet worth of film is about four <laughs> minutes of footage. I love that thought. I love it. I, I I think that's so fantastic, right? Yeah. And here and here and here we are complaining about the auto shut off after thirty minutes. <laughs> I know. I mean, he he he. If Jerry heard us complain about that, he probably would throw us off a bridge or something <laughs> like that. Because what he wouldn't give for thirty minutes of of, of continuous shooting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know we're we're, we're kind of spoiled, aren't we? We are. It's 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 really funny, but. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, great. Hey, that's great stuff. Let's uh, let, let's do this. Uh, let, let's take a little bit of break here, and we'll come back with our next interview. Uh, good with you? Yep. Okay, we'll, do, we'll come right back right here with more of our Cinegear 2016 coverage right here on Tech. It is Tech Move with our continuing coverage of the Cinegear 2016 convention slash show, whatever you want to call it. Keith Moreau, Rod Louie here in the house. Uh, Keith was so great to be able to sacrifice himself and go to the show. Uh, we have yet another riveting uh, interview here, uh, and it's uh, the rep from Adamus. And, you know, I never really know how to pronounce their name. Keith, am I right along? Uh, am I on that line? Adamus? Yeah, you perfect. just really say it quick so it sounds like the right thing, right? Adamus. Yeah. Say it, well, that one, maybe not. But the previous one you said. <laughs> Adam, Adamus. Well, well it's not Otomos. It's not that. It's Adamus. A- Adamus is, is, it's Adam. Right. It's Adam Adamus. and then Adamus. Adamus. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you, you pronounced it right. And and actually, he's he is the he's the CEO. He's the he's the head honcho. Oh, and, and we are talking about Mr. Jeremy Young, who yeah. uh, you were uh, fortunate enough to be able to get uh, some uh, live time with. Yeah, and, which uh, I I so what happened was last at NAB, I was not able to get him. Oh, okay. Yeah, and All so right. I got his his uh, marketing director, who's who's also been with the company forever, like him. Right. He even talks about him, um, Tony Trent, but. So I actually got Jeremy, but he, but I, so I, what I usually do at these shows is I kind of walk around and kind of pre-interview the people and see when they're going to be around. Is it okay if we talk to kind of see who I want to talk to, not just roam around and then hit somebody and start talking. Um, like I actual... would do it. Like I would do it that way. <laughs> Call them over just... the head with a microphone. Hey, you're going to interview with us. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, so I went to him the first day of Thursday and, or, or Friday, actually it was Friday and Saturday with two days. And and I went kind of, you know, like er, 2 p.m. or something. And he said, yeah, but I'm not going to be here tomorrow. So if you want to do it, do it today. So I said, okay. So I just made a point, um, you know, for him to be like the first. I think he was the only person I really recorded that day um, of a vendor. So, but I found him. And it was cool because it wasn't too busy. Because usually their their booth is packed, swamped. Right. And, right. and and their booth is a bit smaller at, at Cinegear. Still big, but but smaller than, than the massive overblown uh, NAB show and and uh, I even kind of make fun of him about that and right. uh, <laughs> and but uh, I I personally thought he was he was he was pretty funny 
you know, he's just, um, and he he's very very enthusiastic. Wants to talk a long time about his stuff, and yeah. then I also just kind of got a little backstory about him and his career, which I thought was was kind of interesting. And then another, and we'll talk about some some other things after when we uh, do the outro to to a segment. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let, that sounds great. Let's uh, let's roll this tape right now, as they say in the industry. Here's Keith Moreau. And Jeremy Young of Atomus, uh, right here on our Cinegear 2016 coverage, right here on TechMove. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with TechMove Podcast. We're here with Jeremy Young of Atomus. And we didn't get Jeremy uh, at the NAB, but we got him here at Cinegear 2016. Hi, Jeremy. Hey, man. How you doing? Very good. So tell me a little bit about your exciting new products. All right, so HDR is the new everything. And the reason is it, anyone who's been looking at video for any amount of time, anyone who's been looking at video for any amount of time is, um, will be super impressed by what you can see. You don't have to clip highlights anymore. You don't have to stop down and lose blacks anymore. You can capture the whole thing. And, the, and what our monitor lets you do is set that exposure point up correctly at the time of shooting so that you can either go HDR or Rec. 709. And, but what it also does is help you shoot what you see. The side effect of that is what we are looking at with our eyes, we can now record and we can see on the monitor. Because what Adamus does is we reverse what the cameras do. They take analog light and re record to digital and convert it to digital. We take digital and we convert it to analog light back at the panel. It's a very simple concept, but what that means is we need algorithms from camera makers. So I've got to thank all the camera makers that have given us the algorithms. Sony, Canon, Panasonic, JVC, RED, Ikigami. These are the who's who of camera makers in the world and they have given us all of their proprietary algorithms so that we can do our job and give a better result for customers. And so I'll just show you quickly, you move our HDR slider and you can resolve more and more of the dynamic range. And is that not what we're looking at here? Yeah, definitely. There has to be some voice. When I look right on, yes. <laughs> and I think that is the key difference. We could never shoot that before. We always had to compromise in some area, highlights or darks. Now we can shoot it all, which I think is a, re a revolution. And anyone who sees HDR for the first time in a real HDR environment will agree, I believe. So I got a question for you. So this monitor is outputting what? Uh, 12-bit signal, like 10-bit. Um, so it's 10-bit, 1500 nits, 1500 nit white point, one nit back point, and we are mapping that black and white points accurately across the dynamic range of the image, which is represented here in the waveform. So we can map all of these changes across the image accurately instead of squashing those highlights and darks into a Rec. 709 signal. We can open it up, and you can see it like your eyes do, with 10.2 stops of dynamic range this screen is capable of. And most cameras... Well, how many stops? 10.2. Rec. 709 is about six, and all of the most monitors are sitting at six. They're at Rec. 709. We can go to 10.2. Okay, but some, some cameras can go to 15, right? Well, actually, no. Theoretically, on the sensor, they are between 12 and 14, 15. That's a very, very extreme view. And they aren't actually delivering that in their log signals. What they're delivering is around 10 to, to 11 because you've got noise, two, two bits of noise. You can't get around that. There's, 
minimum two bits of noise. If you're really good, it's two. If you're really rubbish, like some makers who have a lot of noise, then they're at three stops, really. So I don't know how they, uh, well, I know how they calculate a theoretical top point, theoretical bottom point, and they take the whole range. That's 15 stops. But what they can actually get read out of their sensor, out of HDMI or SDI, is actually 10 to 11 stops, no matter what camera maker. Because the analog to digital conversion has noise floor, and that noise floor will kill dynamic range. It means you can't, but where that dynamic range is, we don't want it anyway, because it's right down in the blacks. That we can't see it. So it's actually okay. So 10 to 11 stops is fantastic. That is the biggest that you're going to get onto a monitor from anyone. And I think the maximum is about 11 and we're at 10.2. So we're at 98% of any curve and about 100 of most curves. So it's pretty, pretty interesting that there's a big education going on about HDR right now. And what it's really about is do you have the log curves? Do you control your own panel? Do you control your own brightness curve for that panel? Do you control the LEDs that switch on the light? If the answer is yes, you can make HDR. Well, the answer for Atomus is yes. We control all of that, and that's why we can do this. So you have a product out now that is an HDR panel, and that is what? So it's the Flame series. We have Ninja Flame at 1295, which is HDMI only, and records to ProRes and DNX. Um, and then we go in 4K HDR. And then we go to the Shogun Flame, which has SDI as well. Single BNC SDI, so 3 gig, 6 gig, 12 gig, for those cameras that have that. And then we go to the Inferno, which is 4K P60, 4 BNCs, also has 12 gig, 6 gig, and 3 gig if you want it. Um, and it is 4K P60 for two grand. So the, the Ninja Flame is 12.95. The Shogun Flame, which is SDI and HDMI, is 16.95, and they are both 4K P30. The 4K P60 with four BNCs and the big daddy is, is 1,995, so two grand. Will I see any difference in the actual visual quality other than the interface? No difference, no difference. And we also are releasing in the next week or two our HDR for the older products, right down to our Ninja Blade Samurai Blades. So those products are now HDR capable. How does that work? People are like, well, really? It's not an HDR panel, and you're right. Our, our Flame and Inferno are 10-bit panels, 10-bit, which is really important for, lo for log and HDR. But you can do a pretty good job in 8-bit. We've given 400 nit to one nit range, so it's not as many, it's only like eight stops, not 10 stops, like our top end, but you can still see it, and you can still expose correctly for it. And that goes all the way down to our 495 Ninja Blade and Samurai Blades. So we're giving that for free to customers to try out HDR in the hope that they will upgrade to the Flame or the Inferno and have the true 10.2 stops of the, uh, the Big Daddies, which is the, the higher end models. That's uh, pretty intriguing. I, I'm actually pretty impressed with these new monitors. Thanks, man. Yeah, we've been working really hard and I'm really happy you're impressed. You should be impressed because it's, it's kick-ass. So, so Jeremy, um, so when I was at NAB 2016, um, I thought it was actually the Atomus show, uh, and the reason for that was that every sign I saw when I went into the entrance, when I went, when I you know threw something away in the garbage can, when I was like looking at the wall, when I was looking at uh, the signs and where I was going to go, it's at Atomus. Yeah, and you know why we did that? We do that. We don't advertise any other time of the year. 
we want to thank our customers. We want to show them what we're doing. And NAB's the biggest time. I mean, everyone goes. And all the main people in the industry are there. All the press like you guys and all the enthusiasts are there, right to the top end broadcasters, cinema guys, they're all there. So we want to tell people that we are committed to this industry. We're pushing it forward fast. And we're doing that in the right way with giving you good value for money and make, still making money from it and then reinvesting that into back into the product so that you guys can benefit from the next round of technology but you can still utilize the current ones which is why we give a free update to HDR for all of our Shogun, Ninja Assassin, Ninja Blade and Samurai Blade users because they are, we're not stupid, we understand that they're the ones that have made us ha grow and be the success that we are and we, we're committed to doing that. I'm 39 years old, I'm 40 this year. I've still got 20 years left. I don't need to worry about money, retirement, the whole shebang, because I'm here to make products for creative professionals who make money from doing it. I, I always tell the team internally, we are making hammers for carpenters, but in the video industry. We are making a tool, a Swiss army knife that makes your life easier. When, when someone has a problem with video today, I guarantee there's an Atomus around that can solve that problem. And how many times you'll be on a set when someone goes, how do I get a feed into the, just put it into the Atomus, it'll work. And that's the most proud we are, is because it's a tool. It's a video tool that we spend all our life thinking about. And, and in that moment when you're in deep shit <laughs> and you really need something that's going to work, you can rely on us. And that, that's what we're about. Where do I sign? <laughs> I'm all in for Atomus. I don't really care what they make. I'm not even sure what they make, but I'm in. No, no I, I'm actually very aware of this product. Yes. So, Jeremy, um, you're kind of a personality in this industry, Thank I think. You. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and the history of you and the company, et cetera? Yeah, I'll give you the elevator pitch. I was a, out of high school. There's a selection process in Australia to, to go into the biggest company in, in Australia, which is a, it's a steel company, and it's called BHP. Um, they make steel, they're mining, you know, all the mining stories you hear about Australia, this company did them at first. And they're like, a, I think, a, I don't know, a $180 billion company or something silly, like one of the biggest in the world, just in general. And they picked myself and actually our chief marketing officer, Tony Trent, was in the same program. My wife was in the same program as well. And we learned our trade in university and working at the same time which means you, you work four days a week, you go to university one day a week, and at night you can accelerate it. So you end up doing like a one year extra on your degree, but you've got a full-time job the whole time. Very, very good. I was under the CEO, the, I was under the CFO, I was under the head of production. So I could see how things were made. And I'm a materials manufacturing engineer. So I did a dual degree with those two in it. So we understand manufacturing, we understand materials, which is why we can make a really nice product. And then I entered, I, after six months of doing that in Japan, after my degree, I went over with Nippon Steel and did a collaborative project. And I didn't speak a word of Japanese. It was the worst job of my life. And how, how old are you then? I was 22 when I went there. So when I was 23, I said, let's stay and, and teach some English because it was really good money at the time. So I ended up teaching for a year, and long story short, I taught the president of Canopus, which was bought by Grass Valley, that made DV editing boards and editing software. And I went and was product manager for uh, multiple products, DV Storm 2, Edius, a few other products. And I learned how to make video products from the Japanese. 
And I was there for 10 years and I spent my time learning the language, learning how to make products, learning the digital electronic world. And then when I left, I came back to a really small company called Blackmagic Design. And I met my business partner, Ian Overlees, and he was the head engineer. He was the first engineer ever, ever hired there. He made all the deck links, he made all the converters. He built the team himself. And we were there, and we had um, a pretty good relationship with the company. And then we didn't have a very good relationship with the company. They made a few decisions which, which we weren't happy about. So we left, and we started Atomos. So it's my best friend who started the business with me. It's all the things that I learned, both in manufacturing and materials, as well as electronics in Japan. I love this industry because I've been traveling around the world for now 15 years doing this job and meeting great people like yourself and keeping those relationships. And this is a very small industry. And what I, what I hold most dear is that the people that I respect in this industry really love our products. And that's the biggest respect I can get. So I'm in a great place right now. We're leading the world in monitor technology. We will continue to do so. We'll bring it at lower cost with higher function so that you as creative professionals cannot worry about the tech and just get on with shooting great motion images. And that's what our job is. We want you to not think about how difficult this is to do. We want you to think about how creative you can be. And that's what Atomus is all about. Where do I sign? <laughs> Have you ever thought about evangelism? I have. I have. I've got to tell you one thing. I don't know if anyone knows, but there's this program called the Bulletproof Diet. Yeah, I've heard of it. And it is phenomenal. This guy has nailed it. He calls it biohacking, hacking the human body. And I love it because I'm, I'm kind of an electronic technical guy. And I feel like I've hacked my body. So that's where you have like coffee and you mix it with cocoa butter and stuff? Yeah, but it's way deeper than that. Way deep, and you know it's funny. In America, everyone wants to, to just that quick fix that fixes everything. But I say, read the book, understand what this guy understands, which is that every single chemical in your body is created from certain substances. If you don't feed it that, it's starving of them. And the best one is saturated fat. All the things we've been saying not to eat for years. It's one of the, one of the best ingredients. It's what we need for to make every chemical in our body starts with saturated fat. This brought to you by the Beef Council. Bulletproof. <laughs> Bulletproof. Saturated fat. Let's go for it. Yeah. Butter. I love butter. Butter makes me happy. I have a t-shirt. Well, that's great, Jeremy. You're a legend. Thank you very much. No problem. Thanks for the interview. Good luck with everything. This is Keith Moreau with Tech Move with Jeremy Young of Adamus signing off for now. Keith Moreau, a fantastic interview with Jeremy Young of Adamus. And uh, look, I got to be honest, I don't remember <laughs> a thing from that interview. <laughs> I, didn't, I, I don't know if I heard anything. I, I, I took some notes, but even my notes are just completely discombobulated because I really didn't hear anything outside of uh, how I think Jeremy Young is uh, probably the most fantastic human being that's ever walked the earth. So he's he's pretty fantastic. No, he um, is. <laughs> he he is fantastic. And you know, he, you know, he, you know the thing that surprised me. He's only thirty nine, which is kind of amazing. He's only thirty nine. That's what he told me. Uh, 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 tell me this. Okay, yeah. why does that surprise you? <laughs> I don't know because I just figured you know, he's the head of this company. He's Seems kind of famous, you know. Okay, well, I don't know. I don't know. He's just 
He's a little bit older than Captain Kirk was, I guess, but still okay. seems well, pretty young. Okay, I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, yeah. You know, okay, <laughs> fantastic. You know what? I didn't learn a thing. So, so this actress... But you actress did, you did learn how rude. great the uh, Adamus... What? Uh, no, no. I'm sorry. What was that? <laughs> but you did learn how great the Adamus stuff was. Yeah, sure. And you also learned about the Bulletproof Coffee Diet, so, which, which you, actually yeah. I'm not, I am now on. Well, so. that well, you know that that's really too bad. That's really too bad. That that that's that's really too bad. Which well, I'll tell you about later. It's kind of fun. You know what? I but, frankly don't want to know about it. <laughs> I, I really don't want to know nothing about about that. I I, I don't care. I really don't so, care. So so one of the yes. perks. Okay, I actually had fun during the interview, and I actually okay. kind of like Jeremy because sure, I think yeah, I, oh, I, I I was there I, in person. I could, I could tell. I could tell that you guys got along quite well. Yeah, and 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 he was really nice. He was nice to Veronica. He's kind of charming, you know. Maybe he came across different in the interview, but um, so, uh, but he did offer uh, an eval unit to send to send to us. Oh, okay. Yeah, great. So yeah, so great. Yeah, I don't know if you want to check it out or not, but I'd be glad to you know send send around this eval unit. You know, after I've used it and dropped it, and <laughs> I- broken it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think uh, uh, that that could be you know, we'll 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 pass it around like a uh, uh, like a used checkbook. I think and, well, uh, it's supposed we'll... to be durable, so I think we could yeah. just put a couple stamps on it and just put it in the mail. Okay, and, and well, that's how yeah. we can get it back and forth to each other. We'll uh, we'll, we'll, we'll 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 give it a full test, and uh, you know, and you know, hey, thanks, Jeremy, for uh, for offering that to us. Uh, for the eval, I'm sorry I really wasn't paying attention that much, <laughs> but uh, hey, you know, uh, if we can get a tester on it, we'll do our own evaluations and uh, see how fantastic all the stuff. Hey, but in all honesty, we know that Adamus stuff is really top notch, very very good stuff, and uh, and frankly, I know that you've been talking about it, Keith. For you know, a couple of years now, at least. Yeah, I mean, I, I only have really one of their things. Yeah. But but um, I like it a lot. It performs well. I don't use it a lot, and um, but I think their new set of monitors look look pretty darn good. So, it'll be nice to get the value eval of the newest uh, HDR monitors they sell. Yeah, I think that'll yeah. be fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, great. Hey, well, uh, again, thanks to Jeremy Young, Adamus. Thanks to Keith Moreau, Tech Move. We're gonna stop reset and give you our next. Uh, riveting interview uh, from Cinegear 2016 right here on Tech Move. Continuing our coverage of Cinegear 2016, Rod Louis Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Uh, Keith has another uh, really nice uh, segment here, uh, a real nice get. Uh, for a new product from Ready Rig, uh, mm-hmm. the folks at Ready Rig, uh, I think we're going to be speaking to uh, two individuals, Kenji Suzaki, as well as Alessandro DeLeo. And I think these two guys uh, are actually not only going to talk about uh, their rigs, the, the new rigs, but also let Keith try one is that is that correct Keith? yep it was great i've actually had my eye on this company for since the last cinegear and even before that because when you're holding a especially two-handed gimbal yeah you need you definitely need some support especially if you're holding a bigger camcorder okay and um you know and the and the bigger you know if you're using a, a like a larger like fs7 or fs700 or something with any even with batteries and things it starts getting pretty heavy yes um 
so I always try to have some support if I'm going to do any kind of length of time. And this thing looked look pretty cool. And there's some other brands. There's like this thing called Easy Rig, which has been around forever. It's this thing that goes over your head, kind of like a loop, like a fishing pole that goes over your head. Okay. And it may work, but it just does not look cool. So. <laughs> and and, and uh, well, and folks who uh, get onto our website at techmovepodcast.com can probably see some of these videos uh, that you actually shot uh, at Cinegear. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah. so you'll be able to actually see folks uh, the ready rig and how Keith uses it and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's, uh, I'm sure it'll be quite interesting. But, uh, let's do this. Let's get to the uh, interviews. I think we're gonna do. We're gonna run first the first one from Kenji Suzaki, and then right after that, we're gonna do Alessandro DeLeo, both guys from Ready Rig, along with our very own Keith Moreau, right here on Tech Move and our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. Kenji, Kenji Suzaki. Are we recording? <laughs> okay, and and it's ready. Rig. Ready, Rick. Okay. Yeah. Hi, this is Keith Moreau from Tech Move Podcast here at Cinegear 2016. I'm here with Kenji Suzaki of Ready Rig, and Kenji's one of the founders of Ready Rig. Uh, tell us about uh, yourself and your product. So my background is actually in finance, and I partnered with uh, Alessandro to do the engineering on his concept of how to do gimbal support. So he had this idea how to cantilever this weight out in front of you and support a gimbal. And the, new, the new gimbal is uh, the Ronin that we're working with here and the Ronin MX that was just released by DJI. Um, for us, the gimbal is a new frontier of filmmaking, and it's, it's a new way of doing smooth, steady shots. But some of the limitations, again, are weight. And you have to think about how, can, how long can I operate? How can I do my job when I'm thinking about this, this pain in my back and weight in front of me? And so for us, uh, Y-axis stabilization and weight support are crucial things. And that's our main focus. And with the ReadyRig GS, as you see behind me, um, we just came out with the new Pro Arms. So that is a telescopic upgrade. allows you to go a little further up, a little further down, and uh, a monitor mount on the, uh, the arm itself. So Kenji, tell me how you got involved with this product. Uh, assuming you were maybe friends before this developed, maybe give you a little bit of history behind the background of right. Ready Ready. So Alessandro has been working um, in film for most of his whole life, and I've been a, a close friend of his from the beginning. And um, he came to me with this issue of like, okay, we're doing you know domestic distribution, and we're thinking about this this idea of how we're going to work with uh, new filmmakers on weight support. And then we started looking at his market, and at the time he was focused mainly on handheld. And uh, the initial version of the Ready Rig was exclusively handheld. So we uh, we sat down, partnered up, and went in the bunker for about six months, really just developing and designing something specifically for gimbals, because we thought uh, we saw a trend and some movement in the market towards uh, gimbal work and how it's going to influence a, a whole new uh, generation of filmmakers, as the Steadicam did for the last generation. Um, it's not a replacement, it's just a new tool in the tool set, and we think that uh, it needs just as much support as Steadicam did. So for us, that was the genesis of, of what we have behind us, and now uh, we're just keep building out our ecosystem, making uh, upgrades for the Pro Arms, which is uh, the entire thing is built modularly, so everything we do is going to be upgradable. Everything we release for the product is going to be an attachment and an accessory. That's great. So. Um is this available now? How much is it? Where can we get it? We are current, currently selling online at our uh, web store at ready-rig.com. And uh, 
we will release the Pro Arms on June 23rd. And the pricing for both is the original GS is 2000 US and the uh, package with the Pro Arms is 2600 Excellent. Uh, just briefly, what do the Pro Arms give you that the previous version didn't? So the Pro Arms, uh, they give you further height, boom distance. Um, they can dynamically telescope and that allows you to actually be a little more fluid in your pan movement and a little, a little more uh, free in your hip axis. So that's, that's just a lot easier to operate, but it, it's, only, it's not really necessary for the core movement. So the core original ready rig is really great at what it does. It's, it's a very simple sort of mechanical system that maps your body very easily. And as an operator, it's really important to think about where you are in space and, and how you move and, and how the camera's gonna react to all of your movements. And so for us, mechanical and simple are very important. And it's a very critical part of, of thinking about how to do your job is I wanna be able to, to map this mentally and, and know my tool very well. And we think that we've offered that with both the uh, original and the new upgraded arms. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kenji, you've been excellent. We're gonna also interview Alessandro and have him demonstrate it. And I don't know, maybe he'll let me try it on. Sure he will. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So why don't you come over here and we'll this is Alessandro Di Leo. Yeah. And uh, got his name right. His partner also had a difficult name. And uh, uh, he's he's one of the founders of Ready Rig and they make uh, amazing products for actually uh, holding and stabilizing gimbals, uh, larger gimbals when they're being used. So how's it going, Alessandro? It's going well. So why don't you put this on, and we'll film you putting it on, and then you can describe the functionality. Absolutely. You want me to kind of talk about how it, how it works on the body when I'm putting it on? Definitely. Okay, cool. So our system is, uh, is unique. It's a, it has a rigid frame that surrounds the operator, so you actually have no pressure on your shoulders. And you can kind of see here we have these really strong shoulders that reduce, or sorry, that actually take off all the weight. So I'm going to put this on. Yeah, here we go. And... Um, what you're going to see here is we have everything here is kind of a unique design as far as Vesco. Um, I'm going to click in, and uh, when I click in on the shoulder straps, these are just keeping the rig from falling off. All the support actually comes from down here um, on the waist. Now, I tighten down, and the ready rig actually has two parts to it that cinch around the operator. And what that allows me to do as a gimbal op is if I have my gimbal way out over here, it's going to be distributed evenly on my hips wherever I put it. And that's really important with gimbals because we're always going low to high, side to side, moving around, jibbing up and down. And that's what this whole vest allows you to do. These arms right here are the Cine, or sorry, uh, not the Cine uh, Pro Arms. These are called the Pro Arms. Sorry about that. Um, and these are telescopic. And this allows me as an operator to get my gimbal wherever I need, if, whether it's low mode or really high, or flip it up into up, uh, upright mode on the gimbal go up, you know, about eight, eight or nine feet up in the air down to three feet, I can do that. Um, and these are a new release. These are, these uh, Pro Arms have been uh, released at NAB and they're shipping in late June. And I'm going to now jump into a Ronin. Uh, what we're flying today is we're flying a red Epic with a uh, red zoom on it. Um, and it's a DJI Ronin and we have a little transmitter there. You can see the image. And so I'm going to just snap into this and I'm going to actually go into upright mode to start off. So in order to do that, I'm just going to grab my Ronin. I'm going to have it the lens face me. And this is quite unique with our system in the fact that we can just kind of quickly snap in here. And let me just click in. Click in. All right, now it's ready to go. I'm actually going to now flip up 
the red, so now we're in upright mode. And now I can kind of show you how I tune it. Um, everything is based on the operator. So what I mean by that is me as an operator, I'm actually tuning the weight support. So if it's too little load and I want the rig to support more, all I do is I loosen up at the shoulder and I slide this back maybe just a half inch and I lock it down. And this is the speed of which an operator can do this at on set. Now I just tuned it up. Now the weight is really, 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 really supported. And I can now slide out my gimbal and you can see the range of motion here. So I'm gonna just take her low. And this is its lowest mode. It's pretty much as low as my arms can reach. And then I'm gonna go up. And when I go up, you're gonna see it can go very, very high. And the range of motion that I have with the gimbal itself is straight up 180 degrees. So I could shoot into the sky and I could now jib down. And it weighs absolutely nothing on me. Now I'm just literally guiding this gimbal, which is huge for gimbal operators. We have to deal with fatigue constantly. And that, that does detract from the shot and the framing and what you're actually doing because you're trying to concentrate on not the framing and just trying to get by. Um, or if you have a support vest, you're concentrated on not hitting something on a wall or to the side of you. Um, and that kind of takes away and detracts from your operating. Uh, with this, we don't have anything bigger than me. Uh, that's huge. I can know exactly where I am in space. I can put the gimbal exactly where I want it, anywhere I want it. Um, and that allows me to just concentrate on the most important thing, which is my composition. Um, and just staying with the right beats in the scene. And that's the ready rig. Any questions? So you have an upgrade or you have a slightly newer version that has uh, something with the arms. Is it called yeah. Pro Arms? Pro, yeah, it's called Pro Arms. So it's the same exact vest. So we have the ready rig GS, which is the standard uh, ready rig, which we introduced at NAB last year. Uh, that one is 19.99, and it's the difference between the Pro Arm version of the GS and the standard GS is the uh, standard GS comes with a 25 inch uh, smaller diameter single stage carbon fiber rod. It doesn't have any mounting uh, brackets for monitors. It doesn't telescope. So it's a little bit more limited with your range of motion. The pro arms give you that added ability to kind of position and get it up into a much higher uh, range. So your range of motion is extended. Um, and it also allows you to kind of just on the fly go to different modes. Whereas the other one still works very well. Um, but it just is a little bit more limited when compared to the pro arm. But it still has all the same tenants of small profile, 30 pounds of weight. This is 40 pounds of weight. It's still going to carry pretty much any package that you're going to put on a, a gimbal. That's pretty cool. Okay, so what I like to do is I actually like to go a little bit behind the scenes and talk about the trials and tribulations of developing something like this. Okay. So tell us some stories about, you started a couple of years ago or two or three years ago. Uh, okay, so we started five years ago. Uh, it's a while now. Uh, it's, uh, it started off as a father-son project, um, and then Kenji came on board and developed the GS with us. But prior to that, we had the Ready Rig ARR3, which was like our very first product. Um, my father and I are camera operator. My dad's a DP. I'm a camera operator. Um, and we came at this kind of building, uh, this is prior to the gimbals, actually. We we're kind of building a system that was the V1 of Ready Rig. And it was a handheld kind of idea. And, and we were working on this project and we kind of wanted to put on a, a gimbal stabilizer, but it wasn't really our, our area of expertise. We're better at more mechanics. So we designed this handheld system. And lo and behold, 
there I am at NAB about four years ago when Freefly announced the Movi, and I was just looking at them and looking at our vest that was kind of a rudimentary stage, you know, not a manufacturer who's, who's like, you know, a straight up manufacturer coming from actually the set life, you know, set perspective, operator perspective, then going into building something and becoming a manufacturer. So that was like our trial period of three years of just kind of like trying to learn how to do all this stuff. And luckily, by the time we kind of figured it out, we saw, you know, the, the gimbals became really strong in the market, and we were working on, from the moment that FreeFly was uh, developed and released at NAB, we started working on this thing. So we worked on this for about two years, and it was totally under the wraps. We just kept testing it, kept testing it. It was just me, Kenji, who you met earlier, and uh, my father, and we just kind of put our heads together and really just took all that knowledge from the first three years of developing and kind of flailing and kind of, you know, learning stuff and making good calls and not making good calls and learning how to do all this whole manufacturing thing and then we built this system and today we've really stand behind our product and we've we've learned a lot and this system is pretty solid i would say like our we have learned a lot and now we are a full-on professional manufacturing company we've done all our learning and now we have a, a very good product that is the the result of a lot of trial and error and new engineering and a lot of other ideas so that, that, that's that, yeah. <laughs> that's a cool story. So if I wanted to get this pro version now, would I be able to? Uh, actually, it's shipping uh, June 23rd is when the pro arms are shipped. You can get a GS vest right now. Um, and then you could put a pre-order in and upgrade at any time later. Or if you'd like to wait, you could get the, uh, the rig at June 23rd. And we are approaching being sold out, uh, very closely sold out to our pro arms uh, since we released it or announced it. Uh, and then that means like probably early July is the next run of uh, people who put their orders in. That's really cool because uh, previously I was telling you about my endeavors and, and all the different steady cams and things like that. I have a, well, you have, you have several similar products that are out here even at the show. Um, although I personally like the look of your product, I think mostly because you look really cool in it. <laughs> I'm not sure about the, um, you know, the, the different the different designs etc. But I was actually trying to use a Steadicam arm to, to prop up my my gimbals. So why don't you tell me about some of the advantages and disadvantages of those solutions versus yours? Absolutely. So uh, there's several uh, solutions on the market, and I would categorize them in kind of different uh, different systems uh, by their the way they work functionally. Uh, you have like hanging systems, so you got, I'm not gonna say any names, so I don't wanna be mean, but like there's systems that are above the operator that suspend uh, a gimbal from a single point, or you have other systems that have like these large suspender elements that go up and over the operator and then hangs down one point or two points uh, where it connects to the gimbal. Uh, and you have those type of rigs. Now those type of rigs, to me, they none of them have, have uh, done what, what is required for a, a Ronin. We need to go low to high, we need to be very dynamic, and we need to fit in tight spaces. We need to be able to be like just kind of uh, shooting on the fly and adjusting, and, and, and that's what that's the adaptability and the speed of, of shooting with gimbals is what gives us our advantages. You know, it, it's quick to set up, and when you learn your tool, you can go and do a lot of things that people cannot do. And so keeping the profile small is huge. Um, I think a lot of vests out there some of them do a decent job at the fourth axis, um, but there's always going to be a problem with gimbals because the fourth axis is you're trying to stop this object that can stabilize rotationally from translating up and down, side to side, forward and back. And so different mechanical vests or extensions of the body will translate 
different like errors into the gimbal. And so a lot of vests out there do that. Now, why our system works so well is that we have, it's simple, first off. So it's simple, it's low profile. So what I mean by that is it's simple in the sense that it's just a fulcrum here and I have these bungees here on the front and the back. And because of that, it's predictable. I don't have all these joints moving around and flailing out and kind of hitting things so I can really focus on just doing uh, me, sorry, sorry, just uh, operating uh, and positioning my camera. The weight support is good, um, but then the translation works, in my opinion, best on these kind of suspension arm systems. Um, that's what we have. It's like a, on a car suspension, when it's traveling, you have an angle change so that when I'm moving, my body can move a drastic amount and the rods are gonna take out a lot of that up and down vertical motion and I'm not adding a lot of junk into it with all these other systems. Like you have the dual Steadicam arm systems and they seem like they work, but when you get there, your actual boom range and your, your stabilization at different heights, is, it starts to fall off a lot because they're trying to approximate too much uh, with the spring tension on, on too many variables. So this is simple, there's less variables in it, it's intuitive, it's quick, and has a small profile. That's a long. That's the long story of it. It's not long enough. I need more detail. Um, you were telling me before that when you have a Steadicam arm, which I tried to do in the past. And so what I did was I, I took my Steadicam vest and I had my two arm thing, and it's a pretty lightweight one. And I had and I basically just kind of used some various rigging tools and kind of attached my pistol grip uh, gimbal to it. Now you're saying that that's going to trans transfer bad errors into the image. Yeah, so uh, the way Steadicams, uh, they work with, a, with a, the Steadicam arm, which is a four-bar linkage. It's a parallelogram. It's linked to your hips. Uh, and when you move your hips, the arm actually does, it rotates side to side. It's attached, it's fused and locked in on, it's, it's, it's parallel to the ground. So when your hips, when you, when you move your butt side, it's why I always Steadicam operating, you're erect. You're holding it and you're in a very specific position with the Steadicam. The moment you break that is the moment the arm starts to, to lose that, uh, being, lose being parallel to the ground, and then it will kind of fall off you know, towards gravity and the arm will swing out because there's all these free joints on it. Um, that, what that means is that because it's on your hips or on your back, when you move your hips side to side, you actually have the whole arm shaking and that translates high frequency vibrations into your gimbal. Um, and it doesn't, gimbals really don't like that. They like to be attached to like soft connection points. And if you see, our arms are totally independent of each other. And because of the independent nature of the arms, no matter what I do with my body, my hips could be moving crazy. And I am not actually translating that high frequency junk into the bar of the Ronin. The Ronin is able to suck it up with its roll axis. So because of that, and also you'll notice when I go down and I move my hips out of line, I can actually be leaning over and I don't have anything kind of pulling my camera forward or when I move up, pulling it back, sorry about that. Um, it's all kind of just situated in, in the arms. And so because of that simplicity, there's not a lot of variables that I'm like trying to fight as an operator, constantly trying to keep my, my perfect um, positioning with my body. I can kind of just be dynamic with it. I can go down low to the ground. I can shoot up. I can spin around. I have full flexibility. And that allows me to just kind of not worry about anything else but just getting the camera I need to get it. I don't have to worry about overextending my tool. That's excellent. Well, I think we've actually um, talked a lot about the advantages of this product. And I actually have been so excited about this. I actually saw these guys last year. And I 
I wanted to try one on, but uh, they didn't have one to try to, for me to try on at the time. So I'm going to, Alessandro's going to actually try to put this on me, and we're going to see how it works. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So going to be the going to be the MC for this part of the episode. Yeah, I'm going to MC this. So hold on, hold it while I just get this off. All right, one second. So might have to adjust it, but sometimes we you might have the same torso length with me. So if not, we'll have to adjust. So first, now I'm taking this. There we go. So what I want you to do is we're going to move this vest here. First, we're going to, before you go to that phase, just clip in on your shoulders. This just keeps the rig from releasing when you tighten down because we're going to put a lot of force on your hips. And what, what that means is the vest is going to really become part of your, uh, it's going to become part of your lower back and it's going to fuse together so it can't separate. And that's really important because we want all that weight that's cantilevered out to be put into your front hips. You don't want to have space behind your lower back where you're trying to arc your lower back to try to counter the weight. You want it to fuse your lower back completely off so that it's just a big plank back there. So how we do that, you might want to just hold this for a second because I'm going to... So you see what I did there? Do that over here. So loosen out the Velcro. Yep. That's going to slide. Connect the two. Yep, the buckle right there. It's going to click in. Now reach back. Grab this and pull. Yeah, and go to the other side, do the same. You want it nice and tight, yep. So there's a pulley back there that you're pulling and it's sliding that around. And you want this low. See how it's, it's kind of falling off your back right now just because you don't have weight on the front. So once we get the, the gimbal on, you don't really even need these. These are just for safety. Nice and tight, you want it very tight and you want it low. So you actually want it lower than you want it higher. And the reason is, yeah, pretty low. It needs to be on. Uh, so you, that your lower back cannot arc. So we don't want you to be able to lift the weight with your lower back, much like when you're lifting something, you lift from your legs, same concept. You don't want to lift with your lower back. Same with this, it needs to be nice and low. And we'll know if it's set up correctly the moment you get the gimbal um, on you. If you feel any strain on your back, we gotta move it lower. So go ahead and hold this. So how's that feel? This is heavy. I could hold this for about a minute. Okay, so we're gonna let him, we're gonna torture test him now. This is what I like to do to my, my, my victims at trade shows, is I will allow them to hold on uh, to a gimbal for a little bit of time before I give them the relief, and that really makes us look good, because they can go, ah, all right, how you feeling? So this, we just saw um, Deadpool yesterday, uh, did you see that movie? I did. Yeah, when he was being tortured over and over to start his mutation going, this is like the similar torture. Yeah, except the mutation is a giant rig system on your back. <laughs> so, uh, all right, so you're, you're, I think you had enough. I've had enough. I've had okay, enough. so I'm going to just click in real quick. Now, obviously, what I'm doing here is he would be doing this on the sled itself, and he can do this himself. I'm just helping him out right now so we get the one, two. Okay. We could tune it, so we're going to tune it now. Yeah. We're, this is approximation. It's a little, it's a little heavy, so it needs to be light. Uh, it needs to be balanced so that it's a little more neutral. I think. Okay, so he wants to balance it now. This is what's great about our system is the operator can balance it, and it's actually on the fulcrum point of the rig that he's going to do this. Now you balance the system once you have the weight in front because you can feel how you want it done. So keep these rods level, nice and level. Now when you get a little bit more experience, is at, when you keep them level, you can loosen the fulcrum and slide it back slightly, right? And now tighten it down. So if you want to try that, just loosen it. Yep. And then slide it back a little bit. Boom. And you're going to feel, I'm going to lock it here. Now feel that power. Okay. So now we're, now we're pretty neutral. 
Now I don't even have to hold it and it's staying close, but I can still bring it up and down just with a little fingertip control. No weight at all. And I can move it around like this. I can have to do a little follow with the, with the follow mode in the gimbal. And I can, I can walk around and, you know, act, act kind of cool. Not as cool as Alessandro, but, you know, we all we'll have our limitations. <laughs> well, we're trying to break that out of you with torture. Except now you're not tortured anymore. Yeah, your mutation, yeah, you're low. So right now, and, and on the pro arms, we, what we don't have set up is a monitor. Unfortunately, oh, there goes our... our uh, we were just talking about this monitor. We're, yeah, we're talking about these uh, little articulating arms, how they just always don't do us justice. We really love them. No, we don't. No, we don't. Not, not, part, not at all. Not part. It's not part of the ready rig. The ready rig does not sell these magic arms. It's just this. Uh, yeah. It's so. Just so you guys see out there, what where we where we start and where the Ronin ends is right at these bungees are ours and the vest is ours. But obviously the Ronin and the red camera is not ours. Um, I wish it was, but it's not. Uh, and yeah. And so you can adjust these. These telescope out. You go ahead and take it down just a little bit. It's gonna. You can extend these and drop, and you can grab from the center handle. Yeah, and there, so you can go into low mode. There's still a little bit of tension. Yeah. You can lock it. Yeah, and you pull towards you. Yeah, there you go. And just pull. Up and down. And this is this is uh, in underslung mode. When I started the interview, I had it in overslung mode. And that really gives us uh, a whole other host of options when we're operating. So we could go up high, shoot low, uh, go over the shoulder, which is pretty unique with this. So when you're doing like an OTS shot, you could actually track with somebody and see what they're doing on their phone. So you could do this, kind of like the over the shoulder. Oh, I mean, I mean an actual OTS of the talent. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, where you can have it in an upright mode, and you can have the camera shooting down. Yeah, well, in upright mode. So the gimbal, the gimbal itself needs to be flipped up. Yeah, and then you can go camera up and you could shoot over. Pretty cool. Well, I'm sold. I'm going to put my order in. <laughs> but that's not all. For only $19.99. No, I'm joking. And uh, at, we are, we're based. We make everything in L.A. Uh, our office is in Van Nuys. We encourage people to come over and test it out for themselves, put it on, uh, demo it. We do trainings. Um, everything's made in the U.S. We make everything in L.A. Uh, yeah, and our gimbal died. Our battery is dead on the gimbal, so she's she's done working. She's, she's asleep right now. It's too hot out here. So thank you for your time. And, um, yeah, thank you. And our website is ready-rig.com, and the product is ReadyRig. This is the ReadyRig GS with Pro Arms. Uh, and we're at ReadyRig on uh, Instagram, so follow us. There's a bunch of good examples on there if you want to see different builds. And feel free to contact us. You can go to our website ready-rig.com and write to me. It's a small company, so I will get your emails and come on in and test it out. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. I'm just going to try to do this. Thank you so much, Alessandro. That was, that was awesome. Um, I love this product. I'm just going to be wearing this around the show from now on. You know, it's so comfortable. Anyway, this has been Keith Moreau, Cinegear 2016, signing off for TechMinute. That's Ready Rig and the uh, folks from there, Kenji Suzaki and Alessandro DeLeo and our own Keith Moreau. I got to tell you, Keith, that the uh, the Ready Rig looks like a fantastic uh, piece of equipment that allows that free movement that the body can move with. Uh, it's, it, you know, it, it's a little bit big. I mean, it's kind of a backpackish style type of system 
how did it feel? It looked like it felt okay. It actually felt really good. Their their vest is really really nice. It's actually way better than the Steadicam vest that I have. Okay, it's, it really fits well and it cinches well and and just um, doesn't feel like it's adding all this extra strain that you have to. Because it seems like on the Steadicam, I feel like a, I'm I'm a little strained after yes. a while, like my back. This one, I felt like it was just natural. Yeah, um, and I think it is kind of a little bit big but in a way though it's relative it's all relative because if you look at the other brands they're all way bigger and more unwieldy like you can't even get through a doorway with some of the other ones okay uh, so this one's just like like the same width as your shoulder and it doesn't really extend too much in the back right um and some of the other rigs are way wider they're like six inches on each side of you so there's like an extra foot that you have to account for and you're always you know you probably have to have somebody kind of guiding you uh, you can't really do it on your own. So that's the thing that I really like about this one. It's also really simple. It's just based on very simple principles. It's not using electronics or any kind of weird counterweights or No anything. motors, no nothing like that? Mm, no, it's not like an exoskeleton, really. It kind of is in a way, but some of the, some of these others are actually like, you know, Iron Man exoskeletons where they're yeah. trying to prop your arms up and stuff. And this this is just simple. It uses some elastic bands on the front and the back. And just the length of the arm and the fulcrum point, like where 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 the fulcrum point is, to kind of make like a seesaw. Mm. And and if you move that, you know, the back end of the seesaw farther back, then you can support uh, more weight, and vice versa. So uh, and you can also extend them. You can extend them farther, so you can have really high and low reach. And I, I did like that part. I like. I yeah. really like. I mean, it's almost like having a jib just attached to you, right? I mean, yeah. you're, you're your own jib and stuff like that. Kind of neat. Yeah, and I think they're doing really well. They're selling a lot to local. They're local uh, camera operators, and their uh, Alessandro's dad was in the is in the business as a DP. So um, they actually had another product before, but it was only for handheld. It wasn't for gimbals. And then this this product is is based on it a little bit, but it's really a revolution in, in this whole kind of uh, gimbal support systems. And I, and I really wish them the best. I'm, if I used, if I start using uh, dual handled gimbal a lot on larger cameras, uh, you know, like a, a decked out FS5 or, or, you know, like an FS5 that might have the recorder on it, you know, it's a little right. bit heavier or, yep. or any larger cameras. I'm, I'm going to get one. Yeah, so yeah. I, I I I think it makes sense. You you know, on the the demonstration model that you used was the camera actually operational, and, uh, and, and I'm and I'm asking that because how did it do with regards to stabilization? Well, the the ready rig itself is pretty neutral. You know, it's it's kind of just as if you were holding it with your arms. So, however good your gimbal is, is how the how the camera's going to look. Okay. Um okay. and they did a they had actually kind of another set. You didn't see it, but around the corner from where they were demoing to me. Just just it was basically we were seeing like the side of their stage. Right. On the front side of that stage, they were doing like a a skit every half hour. Okay. Where they actually demonstrated not the ready rig, but another thing that Alessandro and and Kenji had invented called um I actually don't know what it's called, but it's a way to uh it's like a, a magnetic quick release. It's electromagnetic oh. quick release. Uh -huh. So they actually have um, the, the camera on the gimbal, and it's mounted onto a jib, like a huge jib. Mm -hmm. And then in the middle of the shot, they actually flip a electronic switch, and it disconnects. It turns off the electromagnet and allows them to carry it then as an actual gimbal. Oh, nice. Yeah, so you can transition from from some kind of mounted 
type thing to a free handheld gimbal, like mm. seamlessly. And then they had a video showing how it was doing. And it looked really good. Oh, cool. So Yeah, so... So I and and they talk about the sway versus the steady cam stabilization systems and things like that and it all made sense to me. So yeah, it's cool. You know, I I wish them a lot of luck. I'll be sending them this this um a link to our podcast. They'll probably even use it for their marketing, I think. So that Well, be we can cool. only hope so. We, we 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 need all the press that we can get. To, so. All yeah, right. Maybe next year we'll be VIPs at Cine Gear. <laughs> <laughs> get to the head of the line or, or or at least the middle of the line maybe the middle yeah maybe the middle of the line maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe they'll give you free 3d glasses or something <laughs> like that when you get through the door all right hey uh that is the fine folks at ready rig uh along with uh, the fine folks from tech move let's uh reset again we've got a lot more interviews to share with you folks so we will come right back uh, with more here on Tech Move. It's Tech Move's continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. And our next interview we want to share with you is uh, Matthew Duclos. And I think the company's name is Duclos Lenses. Is that correct, Keith? That's correct. And uh, they really specialize in cinema lenses, which is very, very nice. I, and I think that uh, they pride themselves on super high quality, really beautifully engineered glass. Uh, am, I, am, I, am I right about that? What they, yeah, they specialize in selling and maintaining and modifying cinema glass. Oh, they modify. How cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's very nice. Yeah. They, they actually started... Some of their modifications started with uh, some lenses that had clicks in them in the aperture. You know how still yep. lenses have clicks? Yep. So one of their first claims to fame was removing the clicks in lenses for cinematographers. You know, back in the early DSLR days, like right. the 5D Mark II, yep. um, there was this call, call for that. So they started doing that along with, the other, along with their other normal maintenance of lenses. And then they just started, it just started kind of rolling on. And Matthew talks about their history a bit in this in this interview. And I was actually turned on to Matthew. Well, uh, so, several years ago, I knew that he was doing this, and I asked him if he could declick a lens. And he said, "Yeah, I could. It'll cost this much." And I said, "Oh, that's cool," but I never did it. Um, but they were very nice about communication and just down to earth people. I went to the Rokinon booth, and I wanted to ask them about their new set of pretty much all their different lenses that they're offering, along with the Zine lenses, which are the super high-end cinema lenses that they offer for pretty expensive, although way cheaper than the Canon and other cinema lenses. Sure. And um, and, and the Rokinon said, you know, we're packing up now, and we're not even going to be here tomorrow. So why don't you go over to Duclos? Because he sells our stuff, and he knows, he knows a lot. He knows probably more than we do. So just talk to him about our lenses. And said, oh, okay, great. So then I went over to to do close and talk to his dad for a minute. And his dad said, oh, you should talk to Matthew because he knows about this new stuff better than I do. And uh, and then I just started talking to Matthew. Fantastic. Great, great. Okay, well, let's give that uh, interview a little listen. It's uh, Matthew Duclose from Duclose Lenses, along with our very own Keith Moreau of Tech Move. And uh, this, again, is our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. Take it away, Matthew and Keith. Hi, we're here with Matthew Duclos of Duclos Lenses. And uh, we're here at Cinegear 2016 to talk about 
uh, Duclos's products, but, but also other products that they sell and modify. So how are you doing, Matthew? Good. I'm doing good. It's hot. It's good. It's hot, although it's getting a little bit cooler now, which is great. Much nicer than it was an hour ago. I bet when you guys were in the sun, it was really, really hot. We got a pretty good booth placement, so we have shade all day, but it's still just ambient heat all day. Yeah. Some of the booths were out there in the full sun, and was, I don't know how they did it. No, I, I don't envy them at all. Anyway, tell me a little bit about yourself, about your company, and your product. So, I'm uh, Matthew Duclos from Duclos Lenses. Uh, we've been around for about, uh, actually next year will be 15 years. Um, we specialize in service and sales and design of cinema lenses. Um, and that's it, just cinema lenses. Um, prime lenses, zoom lenses, anamorphics, spherical. We work with pretty much every major brand there is out there. So we're a little unique in that we're sort of a universal lens company. I remember communicating with you several years ago, and this was before the Rokinon Cine series or the, the, the non, the non D, or the D-clicked versions came out. And I was asking you uh, how I would go about de-clicking, and you or your dad was pretty helpful in that. Yeah, so the Rokinons, when they first came out, when they first hit the scene, they were sort of the U.S. version of the Sam Yang lenses, um, and they were just strictly photo lenses. So we would take them, we'd add a gear, to a focus gear to them, we would de-click the aperture, add a front ring, sort of standardize everything. Um, and that process really caught on, really took off, and people took notice, Roken on themselves took notice, and then they sort of revised the line to incorporate some of those mods from the factory, which we thought was great. You know, we don't have to do anything, sell them as is. Uh, you know, it's borderline, uh, you know, sincerest form of flattery type thing, but we were glad that we were able to sort of shape that portion of the industry. And since then, you've actually become Roken on dealers as well as dealers of other lenses. Oh yeah, we deal pretty much every motion picture lens you could imagine. Um, and once Rokinon started producing stuff that we thought was, uh, I guess we'll say, worthwhile, we took them under our wing also and offered their products as well. So when was that? Ooh, that was uh, at least a couple years ago when they first started doing their Cine versions. Um, and then it just snowballed from there. Everybody, you know, we got constant feedback from customers asking or telling us what they wanted more of. You know, they wanted better bodies, better, more robust housings. Um, PL mount, everyone wanted PL mount. And we just kept communicating with the factory, telling them what we were getting, feedback in regards to those aspects. And uh, the products just evolved from there. So tell me about some of the, the products that you're particularly proud of. Uh, our products that I'm proud of, we have a couple new things, really, I mean, honestly, it's a really basic concept, but the amount of engineering and passion we put into making them. Um, something like our PL mount extension tubes. Very basic product, very simple, but like I said, the, the engineering and the quality that we put into them is just beyond what anyone else would ever do. Um, and we have our extenders. We have a two times extender, which is probably the best optics you can get right now in a two times extender. Uh, and we're working on a 1.4 times version. Uh, we should have that one in Maybe a couple months, we're still sort of tweaking some some last minute things. So, what's your what's your shop environment like? What do you, what do you have employees? Is it just you and your dad? Like, what what's the environment like? It started as just me and my dad. It was basically a closet for you know a glorified closet at one point. Uh, we're up to about half a dozen technicians, uh, full time lens technicians. We have an engineer. We have our office staff, that sort of thing. Uh, very clean, very sterile environment. Um, 
it's honestly the best way to describe our shop is almost like a hospital for lenses. And how did this all start? Like, tell me about the origins of this company. Uh, my father has always been in cinema lenses. He started working with Ingenue on the East Coast back in the 70s, late 70s, I think. Um, came out here to work at Claremont Camera. He headed up their lens division, worked for a couple of their companies in the meantime. And then we started in 2002, our own company, Duplos Lenses. Um, I left for a little bit to go work at Keslo Camera and then came back once things started really taking off. And uh, it's just grown constantly since then. That's awesome. Okay, so one of the reasons I came over to you, even though I knew about you from a long time ago, uh, was that I was actually intrigued by your company because you and your company, because I went to the Rokinon booth, and I personally actually own probably every single Rokinon lens. Started with 85 back when they didn't have any gears on them; they weren't cine modded, and then and then since then I got a couple more of those non declicked versions, just the regular lenses, and then when they started coming out with the the geared version versions that were declicked, I started getting those, and so I probably have all their lenses, either clicked or declicked. I don't I don't know if I have any of the Cine DS lenses, but I have all the all their different focal ranges, uh, pretty much. And they then they came out with the Zine, which I don't have, and I'm not sure if I'm in the market for it or not because they're pretty expensive. As you know, they're much more expensive than the Rokinons, the, the standard Rokinons. So maybe you could tell me a little bit about the difference that you perceive and if they're worth it, and then also compare the Zines to any of the other cinema brands. Sure. Um, the Zines, they're a unique product because Everybody for the longest time saw the Roken on um, the Cine DS primes, the ones that you said you have. You have the, the non DS versions, but those basic primes. And they said, you know, we want a metal body. We want a PL mount. Can you guys put a PL mount on these? And we kept giving this feedback to the factory, and eventually they, they took our advice and they did it. They, they gave everyone what they wanted. And people kind of said, you know, it's great, but these are too expensive. And then at the same time, people looked at other lenses like. Um, like the compact primes from Zeiss or um, master primes or ultra primes, whatever. And they said, well, why can't we have this in a lens that is half the price or a fourth of the price or something like that? And honestly, that's what Rokinon did with the zines. They took the same concept of the ultra primes, chopped the price, or the, you know, the compact primes, chopped the price even more, and there you go. It's all the same glass. They didn't change the glass, so the lenses that you have, even though they're a little bit older, it's the same glass that you'll get in the zines. Um, there's some minor revisions to the coatings, um, some of the internal light baffles, that sort of thing. But the actual glass is the same. Um, At Rokinon, they were saying that the the glass is completely unique and different than their than their lenses, than their previous lenses. Is it is it kind of a maybe a slightly upgraded coating or something that makes a big difference? The coatings are different. The the internal baffles are different. Yeah, but the the actual optical design. And maybe they don't want me saying this, I don't know, but as far as we could tell, it's the same. There's no difference from one to the other. So if I was taking my, my for example, my Rokinon 85, back, the way back, we're talking like a eight-year-old lens, and I compare that to the Zine 85, I don't know if it exists, but the Zine 85, how, how, would, I, how, would, how would I be able to perceive the difference? For the most part, not at all. The, the image, the characteristics would look almost identical. The only thing you'll see different um, the iris in the Zine lenses is, is a much more sophisticated iris. It stays more circular throughout the whole iris range. Um, so if you, you know, if you open both of them up all the way, it's a perfect circle anyway. So they'll look identical. If you stop both of them down to say T4, 
the, the Cine DS will still have sort of that hexagonal shape, whereas the Zine will stay a perfect circle. So you will get a nicer, creamier bokeh with the Rokinon Zines than you would the DS. Okay, and then as far, how about a contrast, color rendition, uh, any type of sharpness? How about that? For the most part, the same. You know, slightly increased because of those advanced coatings, the different coatings, but you really have to be pixel peeping to see a difference. Yeah, I've actually been quite impressed with most of the Rokinon lenses. I, I, I find that they're sharper than almost any other lenses I've particularly used. I mean, my in my price range, maybe not the $50,000 lenses. But um, the couple of the Rokinons, like, I wasn't crazy about the 24, but, I, but all the other lenses, in my opinion, are quite sharp, especially in the center. What's your opinion on the different lenses? They, they're certainly not Master Primes. Uh, make no mistake. They're not Master Primes. They're not Ultra Primes. You can't compare. They are definitely a, a step below that type of lens. Um, but their price reflects that, absolutely. Um, any other lens that can compete with something like an Ultra Prime or Master Prime is priced accordingly. So with the Rokinons, they fall right in where they belong according to their price. Um, obviously, there's stuff that performs better. There's stuff that performs worse. Um, but they're certainly not bad. So, so by performing better or worse, can you just give me a, s a little summary about what you perceive as better or worse? Um, in the case of the Zines, like you said, that 24, some people aren't super happy with the, the contrast. It's a little bit flary, maybe not tack sharp. Um, but uh, for the most part, you're going to be looking at a difference of uh, resolution, contrast, maybe a little bit of flaring, a little bit of chromatic, chromatic aberration. So what's the best, just price aside, what's the best lens you've ever seen? Price aside, the best lens I've seen. Prime lenses, uh, right now I'd probably go with the, the Leica Sumaluxes. They are some of the most sophisticated opticals, optical designs I've seen. They're very, very nice, very well corrected. Just just for for fun, how much do those cost? Uh, I think a set is somewhere around the 150 to 200,000 price. Pretty pretty high. So if you want to mortgage your house or maybe just sell a kidney. Sell a kidney or maybe just not buy a house and buy a set of lenses, you could buy these. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to say before we sign off? No, I'm good. Great. Well, I really appreciate your time, Matthew. You've been really excellent, really honest, uh, upfront. I'm going to re-explore your, your site and your products, and I uh, really appreciate the interview. Anytime. This is Keith Moreau with TechMoo, Cinegear 2016, signing off. Matthew Duclos of Duclos Lenses and uh, Keith Moreau. Very interesting stuff, Keith. I mean, I, I, I love that ability to kind of re-engineer stuff. I know. It's really cool, and it's great that these guys are... They started as this two-person shop in their basement or closet, he said, and then it's expanded to a real... A, a larger shop with six employees, and, you know, it's just really mushroomed. And Rokinon has taken their advice and their advisors to Rokinon Designs, and, and, and in a way, Rokinon kind of kind of stole some of the mods they were making and put them in their cinema series lenses and things, but they're they're all good with that, because I think they're everybody's benefiting from it. Um, what The thing that I really liked about Matthew, though, he was really honest. 
He was really yeah. honest. He wasn't like yeah. a marketing guy. Right. He just told it as it was. And like he said, you know, maybe Rokinon would like me saying this, but, you know, and he said, essentially, the, the, the El Cheapo Rokinon lenses are almost the same as the $2,000 <laughs> Master right. Primes that they sell. Yeah. Zine, the Zine lenses that they sell. And, um, which is kind of funny because Rokinon saying, oh, they're total, like I went over to the Rokinon booth and the Rokinon people said, Oh, these lenses. I said, what's the difference in the Zine and the Cinema DS, you know, which is the lower end line? And, and he said, oh, it's totally different. We have, it's the same design inside, but we have totally different coatings and different baffling and different c- casing. And it's it's totally different lens. It's just totally professional, much more. Mm-hmm. And, and then Matthew says, eh, they're the same. It's just, <laughs> you, you'd have to be like a, a super pixel peeper to see any difference. Right, and he's maybe a teeny little bit, like, but insignificant. And and um, one of the things that I did want to talk about is we actually lost a recording because Matthew, after the interviews, or sometimes after the interviews over, I start talking more to the people, right? Just more more casually without the mic, yeah, and so forth. And so I, yeah, so I started talking to him about stuff, you know, like the the, how do you measure? Because you mentioned he measures lenses and does the QA on because one of the things was what are the advantages. Of, of buying because you can buy lenses through Matt. you can buy Rokinons and other lenses through Duclos so what advantages do you get through them versus some other mass market like Amazon or or uh, or B&H or one of those right and and he says well we're, they're the same price because the retail price is basically the same um, and they don't usually discount these types of lenses but um, what you do get with us is you get I think a two or three year warranty on it like if anything goes wrong you send it back and it gets fixed for free mm-hmm. you know and and also they actually do a QA on the lenses every single lens they ship out they actually put it on a projector yeah and they project uh, some patterns that can text test the you know they have like lines and different focus charts and color and focus charts that's very cool yeah and they just project them and they, they project them really large like this room like a theater, basically, and they can they can really examine and say, "Oh, this lens is out of spec, and we're not going to sell it." And they'll send it back or whatever. So that's really cool. Yeah, that is um, good. Yeah, and one thing he did say on camera, and it's too bad we didn't record it because I kind of said, "Well, I recorded it, so you have to honor it." Right. Um, he said, "Yeah, and if you want to just send me your lenses, we'll just check them out for free and let them know they're okay." Oh, nice. And and I said, "Really?" He said, "Yeah." He said, "We we'll just do that." And I said, "Okay." Now we'll he'll, now, now he'll end up saying, oh, "I never said that." <laughs> You know, I mean, oh, heck, heck, you didn't even get the VIP package. You're, you, you know, you're, you're an idiot. So I told him, well, I'm going to be sending a big box of Rokinon lenses to you <laughs> next week. So, so, so let me understand the, the yeah. way, uh, the Duclos lenses company works. Mm-hmm. So obviously you can send them lenses to kind of mod, to kind of improve, uh, you know, repair, whatever you want. Yeah. But also, are they resellers too of Rokinon and, and yep. other lenses, and 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 just kind of give it their own little spin on it and kind of beef it up a little? Yeah, what they they're basically retailers of all the cinema lenses that you could possibly buy, mm-hmm. like like from the the inexpensive three hundred dollar Rokinons to the fifty thousand dollar whatever. You know, he okay. mentions some. He mentions. I think I asked him what's his the best piece of glass he's ever seen. And he mentions it. it's like a $50,000 piece of glass or something or a hundred thousand dollars. Crazy. Right. 120 maybe. Anyway, it's a lot. And so, so they, they sell all of them. And, but what they, what they value add is they don't just sell it to you. They kind of make sure it's okay. And if it's not, they'll adjust it. And if they can't adjust it to the point where it's good, then they will not sell it to you. They'll, 
give you another model or another version mm-hmm. copy. Mm-hmm. So that part's really cool. So you have these experts that are checking the lenses before you buy them. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And, and you know, so I, I think I might, I mean, I'm not sure how many more lenses I'm going to be getting, but uh, or if I just step it up, maybe if I go to the next level, I'll start buying my lenses from them. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. So, Excellent. That's uh, yeah. do close lenses uh, from um, from our little interview with Keith Moreau in Tech Move. Uh, so we want to thank Matthew for for spending that time with us. Uh, give them a look uh, when you can. Uh, okay, let's take another break and we'll come back with a few more of these interviews uh, from Cinegear 2016. It's uh, Rod and Keith from Tech Move. Keith, I know you've been waiting for this particular item to come out for a little while now, and this is from Black Black Magic Designs. Yep. Uh, it's the 4.6K Ursa Mini. Is that correct? Correct. You've been waiting for this for what? How long? A couple months? Twelve? Uh, no, over a year. Uh, very good. Well, <laughs> at least you saw it. That, that, that's fantastic. Well, I saw it. I got to hold it. I got to, to lift it up. I got to push buttons on it. Nice. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, we have here from Black Magic Designs, Kendall Ekman, who was good enough to share some time with the Tech Move podcast world. And uh, he had a little sit down slash stand up with our very own Keith Moreau as we continue our coverage of Cinegear 2016. Here's uh, Kendall and Keith. Hi, this is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast. I'm here with Kendall Ekman. He's with Black Magic Design. We're going to talk today about the uh, the the now available Ursa 4.6K Mini. Hi, Kendall. Hi. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? Doing good. It's busy. Well, it's it was really busy about five minutes ago. I couldn't even get to you. Yeah, I know. All of a sudden, it cleared out here, so we're doing a little bit better. We have room now to breathe, so that's good. How fortunate for us. So. So I'm really excited about this camera. I've been excited about this camera for a long time. Um, I was really about ready to purchase it, but I, and I know it's available now. Um, I want you to tell me all the great features on this and, and about some of the new software that may be coming out in the next month or so. Okay, very good. So yeah, this is like you were saying, this is the Ursa Mini 4.6K camera. You can get this in a PL or like this one, an EF mount. And one thing on the PL mount I should mention, if you do get that, is you can switch it over to a B4. So depending on what kind of glass you're using, you have that option to switch it over to a B4. Uh, This camera records on the CFast card. So once one fills up, you can switch it over to the next one. It'll actually, actually automatically switch over to the next one once it fills up. And the nice thing about this camera is you can record all of the flavors of ProRes, all the way up into 444. So the highest quality that you want. And then there is a Cinema DNG RAW file you can record on here, and you can do a three-to-one or a four-to-one uh, compression on that. So you have a lot of options there. Uh, the camera itself weighs five pounds without any lens or any battery, any rigging, but it's, it's a lightweight camera. Actually, I was noticing that, Kendall. Um, I asked your colleague here to take it, off the, uh, take it off the tripod and remove the lens, which actually is kind of a heavy lens, this particular lens. And I was actually kind of amazed how light it was. It, it's 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 not small, but it's not huge. But actually, without the lens, it's it's quite light. Yeah, it is. And that, I mean, our other Ursa, if you're familiar with that, that one was 16 pounds, the original Ursa camera. 
that's a great camera. It gets into higher frame rates in this camera. But a lot of people that were taking it off the tripod and taking it around to do action shots or, you know, lugging it around, they, they wanted something lighter. So we came up with the Ursa Mini. Like you said, it's, it's lightweight, five pounds. Uh, it's made of magnesium, so it's still very sturdy. It's not made of plastic or anything like that. Um, and there's a nice shoulder mount that you can get that will go click right into a tripod and you can easily take it out and put it right in the shoulder and use it that way. So do you sell it in this particular configuration without anything extra? Yeah, the camera itself will come with just the body that you see here. And it will come, we don't have it on here right now, but it will come with a uh, trigger handle on the side. And then as an optional kit, I think it's $395, you get the shoulder mount that's a quick release tripod plate also. Uh, top handle, and then there's an extension arm that you can hook the uh, quick release um, as far as, or not quick release, excuse me, the uh, trigger handle, yeah, there is a, yeah, thank you, yeah, so you can put the trigger handle uh, down on the uh, on the extension arm. That's pretty cool, so I'm probably going to get the EF version since I have about 25 EF lenses, because this started with the Canon days, you know, the Canon DSLRs, and then migrated to other cameras with adapters. Um, so how compatible is it with EF lenses? Oh, completely. This is the EF mount right here. So any EF lenses that you have, you can use on here. And it controls uh, exposure and, and any of the other features in the lens? Focus, zoom, iris. As long as it's electronically controlled, then yeah, you can control that from the camera. Speaking of that, uh, with the software. So on this particular camera, we do have the new software that will be coming out this summer. So if I click the menu button here. If you've used the software before, you'll notice this is completely different. It's a lot more streamlined than I remember. Yeah, this is much easier to use. I mean, even someone like me that isn't a professional, I can get in here and easily pick out. For instance, you just hit record, and you get all of your options here as far as if you want to do a raw recording, your ProRes flavors, DNxHR. You can do lossless. Again, like we spoke about earlier, you can do a 3 to 1 or 4 to 1. And then down here, it'll also have different settings if you're going to shoot all the way up into the 4.6K or if you need to go down to something like HD. Uh, monitor settings, audio's in there, setup. The thing that they added that I really like on this is the presets. So if you want to set up your camera, like this one, for instance, is a preset for black and white. You can do that. And then we added in LUTs. So from DaVinci Resolve, the color correction software, you can add up to six LUTs in the software. And the LUTs affect what you're seeing on this LCD? Yeah, exactly. And then it'll affect the overall image that you're going yeah, to get out too. The nice thing is you can load the LUT onto a CFast card, put it right on the camera. And then if you need to transfer the LUT to other cameras to copy that over, you can take the CFast card and just transfer it over to other cameras. But the LUT isn't burned in. It's just for visual reference. Not from what I know, I haven't seen anything yet because this is all new. So we'll see when it actually ships out. Yeah. I would assume that the LUT is just for visual reference. And you can probably just apply it to this LCD or the EVF or maybe the video out if you need to. Probably, yeah. There, might be a, there may be an option to burn it in if you choose it. But normally, that's, LUTs are not used to burn in. Um, OK. Um, well, this is. Pretty, pretty awesome. Now, what's this battery connector? What type of battery mount? We have a V mount on the back here, so you can do a number of battery choices there. You also can do an Anton Bauer if you want to. Just depends on which one you're getting, and you can you have those choices there. And tell me a little bit about this special sensor you've been developing. So this is a 4.6K sensor. It has 15 stops of dynamic range. Uh, you can get all the highlights, all the shadows, contrast. And the great thing about this one is it in low light, 
It's it's very good. Uh, I've I've gotten some very high end DPs already telling me they can use it on motion pictures, no problem. So just just for reference, what would you recommend? What is the native native ISO, and what can you push it to and still use it? It's 800 native ISO. I've heard people that put it to 1600, and they don't really have any issues in the in the blacks, which was really nice to hear. That's really cool. Um, so when is this new version of the software coming out? Hopefully sometime this summer. That's what we're expecting. That's great. It looks it looks really nice. I'm actually, you know, what kind of clicked me over to to to, to purchasing it again is when I took it off the tripod and just felt it. It's actually, it's actually quite light. Yeah, I mean that's that's what I was saying is that that original one people were lugging that around and they're like, great camera, but we need something a little bit lighter that we can run and gun with it. And, and this one's perfect for that. And you have all the options with XLR, SDI, all the professional things you would need on a camera, uh, but it's very lightweight. What I see with this is um, a, a camera that costs, now what is the price on this particular version? This 4.6K is $5,000. So for $5,000, which is nothing in a cinematography world, you get, a, I feel like you're getting a camera that's close to, you know close to a red or or even maybe surpassing a red in some cases or close to an RE or close to some of the high-end Sony's um, and it's just kind of amazing that you're just break, breaking this price barrier this price performance barrier um, you know, it took a little while but you're getting there and I, I have a feeling this is going to be an extremely popular camera yeah I, like I said the the information I'm getting back and all the feedback I'm getting back from the high-end guys just makes me feel like I can go out and tell people about this camera with no problem you know the quality is going to be there all of the options they need. I really haven't heard any negative uh, elements to the camera. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Well, not not to sound too overconfident, but just for me to go out and talk about the camera, that's reassuring because I don't want to obviously have a lot of negative feedback. And and this has been really well received. And uh, yeah, I think I think it's going to suit a lot of people, whether you're doing documentaries, commercials, all the way up into motion pictures. I, uh, you know, before I buy a camera, I invest investigated a lot, and I've investigated this for months and months, and um, I'm not hearing a lot of negative things. Like I'm hearing that people that are using it actually are using it for actual projects, and they're not having it break down. They're not having it having to reboot the system or send it back or or any of these issues. There's not quality control issues, as far as I can tell. There's a couple pixel peepers that have that have issues, but they'd have issues with any camera, probably even an Aria Alexa. That's 10 times as much. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling pretty positive about it. I think you guys have, have, have done, done a great job with this, this cinema camera. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, like I said, uh, so far, so good. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Ken. You've been great. All right, thank you. This is Keith Moreau with Tech Move Podcast, Cinegear 2016, signing off for now. That's Blackmagic Designs and Tech Move Podcast. Uh, Kendall and Keith were our uh, little interviews right there, talking about the 4.6K Ursa Mini. Keith, your thoughts on it? Um, my thoughts are that, I mean, the main thing, I'd never actually picked up the Mini fully stripped down, like without any of the extra stuff that's usually on it. Sure. And um, it was actually pretty light. I was actually surprised. It was actually kind of light. Okay. So that that was kind of nice. That was kind of nice because the previous versions I had, they had these bottom plates on them and other monitors and things, and it, these seem really heavy. Like oh, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested in this. Even though it's called mini, it's not really a mini. <laughs> um, but but after I lifted it up and just played with it without anything on it, I felt like uh, I could probably work with this. 
And apparently the image quality, at least from the reviews I've seen, is amazing. Really? It's like Alexa. 4.6K four, four, oh. 4. is is amazing. It's well, 4.6K and then what they do is they'll interp- they'll scale it down to whatever, uh, UHD or 4K. Uh-huh. So that's actually even better because then everything gets even sharper and, right. and less less noisy. So that's kind of a good scheme. It's a Super 35 sized sensor. So you can you can have a 4.6K master if you want or you can shrink it down in camera. So it's doing the, scan- the scaling in the camera down to whatever UHD, and um, and that's that's pretty cool. And that I didn't realize that until I talked to one of the other um, techs. So what's kind of cool is that uh, Kendall is actually the husband of Tina Ekman, who was the last interviewee for Black Magic Design. We did it at NAB. That's right. And yeah. I, 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 th- I remember you mentioning that in the interview uh, at, at that point. But she is no longer. Working for Black Magic Design, correct? I, I guess not. I thought yeah. she was because I saw her at, at the at their booth, but I think she was just maybe talking to Kendall or something. Yeah, yeah. but I didn't f- feel like going up to her and saying, "So remember when you said that the Ursa was going to come out in a couple months last year?" I didn't. That would have been mean. <laughs> that would have been mean. Well, if it so, would have been investigative reporting. I, I think I think you could have gotten away with it, and you know that would have been but, okay. Yeah, and I think a lot of it was they just they they. So the thing too is they actually. Blackmagic Design actually spec the sensor and actually have engineered and built it um, themselves. It's mm-hmm. actually not a Sony sensor or not another brand. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you know, I think it's their first foray into actually you know doing their own sensor. And I don't think it's quite as easy as they thought. Ah, right. So um, they had all these great you know ideas about what was possible, and maybe it was not everything was possible. For example, the global shutter thing, which is a huge thing, it was not possible. But um, still, I think they came out with a very worthwhile, you know, pretty pretty darn inexpensive camera for what it puts out. Five and, five thousand bucks though, right? Yeah, it's five thousand bucks for the kind of stripped down version of four point six K, which I think is amazing. Um, another thing is just about it was really hard to get this interview because when I first went there, there was another kind of demo person who was very nice who showed me the uh, the new Blackmagic uh, Micro Cinema camera, I think it's called, which is really cool. Um, it's just basically a totally stripped down version of their pocket camera, um, but has the same image quality records to ProRes. Anyway, this guy said, I won't do the interview on camera because we only have our press guy do that. And that's Kendall and he's not here, but come back. And then when I came back to Kendall, uh, I said, can I do a, a press, uh, podcast interview with you? And he said, well, I, I don't, I don't think so. Have you cleared this through the corporate? And really? Said, yeah. Yeah. And I said, um, don't you know no. who I am? I'm with tech move. He said, well, what are you? What is, you know, Tech move, of course. Yeah. See my badge? Right. <laughs> With indignation. No. <laughs> um, no, he was really nice. Um, and he said, ah, and he kind of thought about it. And he said, ah. I said, I'm not, we're going to be all positive here. It's not going to be like, you know, uh, uh, inquisitive uh, thing, inquisition thing. So he said, oh, okay, okay. So he kind of did it. And then, and um, he wasn't the most super technical guy, but he was a very nice person. Yeah, and and that came through, and uh, so I'm glad I got the interview, even though it wasn't sanctioned or or pre-approved by by Blackmagic Design, right? Or their legal team. So then, good get, then Keith, good get. Thanks. That's that's the investigative reporting <laughs> I expect out of you. <laughs> With the total softball questions. Uh, Ooh, no, that's that, great! Uh, wow, how do you do that? That's amazing. Hey, we never said that we were Newsweek. <laughs> we're more like TMZ, frankly. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. so so that's okay. I, I I don't really care. That's good. 
That's good. Yeah. Very good. Hey, okay, so that's uh, Black Magic Designs, uh, Kendall Ekman. Uh, thank you very much for uh, uh, getting us that insider look to the Ursa Mini. That's uh, pretty nifty, I think, huh? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I may be getting one in the near future. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I mean, frankly, what don't you get? <laughs> so, uh, okay. Hey, great. Let's uh, let's uh, uh, move on to our to our next uh, interview uh, right after we take a little bit of a break. We are continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. Rod and Keith and Tech Move. Keith, you have a surprise for me here, and this is a uh, really special interview with a gentleman by the name of Juan Martinez, and he is... uh, Now, does he work for Sony, Keith? Oh, yeah. He's the product manager for the cinema, the Sony cinema cameras. Okay. Yeah. And he is coming out with some very important news, and I know this is real important for you, about the Sony... FS5 RAW update. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So you've been waiting for this for, for quite a while now. And well, since I got the FS5, pretty much. Yeah. Right. Uh, w- w- was that supposed to be a part of it when when uh, when it first came out, or what? No, they always said that it was a, a future update. It was capable of doing it, but okay. they never gave a time frame, really. So. And, and how long have you had the camera now? I've had it since, I think, November. Oh, okay. That's not too bad. Yeah, so about yeah. seven months or so. Yeah. And, and they've come out with the update now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, hey, l- let's get to the interview. Okay. Let, let's let's hear about what he says about it, and then uh, and then we'll come back with our comments and evaluations right after that. What do you say? Yep. Okay. This is Juan Martinez, product manager uh, for Sony, along with Keith Moreau of TechMove, and our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. So this is Keith Moreau here with TechMove Podcast for Cinegear 2016. We've got Juan Martinez, the legendary Juan Martinez of Sony. He's the product manager for a lot of the uh, cinematography products that Sony makes. How are you doing today, Juan? I'm doing great. I'm just so happy to be here. Beautiful sunny day. It's a beautiful day today. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we have a nice air conditioning here as well, so we don't have to stand outside when it's very hot. <laughs> So I'm reminded of your company every time I look at my badge because Sony is all over the show. Yes, I'm, I'm very glad because uh, in previous uh, city gears or other events, you may have to, uh, they give you uh, lanyards with other manufacturers' uh, name on it. So now I, I love it, seeing all this Sony lanyards all over city gear. I think it's phenomenal. It is great. So what I'm particularly interested in today is the Sony FS5 and all the new firmware updates that have been ha- happening with it. Um, there's a new firmware update that actually adds raw output capability. I know it's a paid upgrade, and then you can actually record it in a device that records raw, such as this Odyssey. So why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Well, as you know, all of the large sensor cameras in the F5, 55, the FS7, and the FS5 um, are software built. We're using hardware, of course, to produce a very fast results and high performance, but we can update the camera via firmware and add new capabilities as time goes on. And when we introduced the FS5, we, we mentioned that uh, uh, FS RAW will be available as a paid update at a later date. And, and now that time has come. 
And so it is possible to order it. You get this. And you can then... Uh, is there like a bar of gold in there with the inscription of the serial number? There, there, yes, there's a code. And then you... No, I, no, I said... Uh, and that download <laughs> the firmware from there. So that's exactly what it is. So you pay your 500 bucks, you get your uh, box with that little piece of paper inside, and, and then you can download the, the software. That's great. Let me, let, me, let me see how much this box weighs. It's not very heavy. <laughs> it doesn't weigh a lot. Um, but it's, it's a phenomenal update. And now it allows you to record 12-bit linear RAW. So this is in this in, on par with cameras that are a lot more expensive that are uh, also output 12-bit RAW. But ours is linear, so we, we have a very a good um, workflow that is already established by the F555, uh, those type of cameras. So you can use the same tools. Uh, resolve all, all of the applications uh, uh, work with this, even base light or any high-end system. And uh, the performance uh, of the FS RAW is already proven by the FS7, the 700 previously. So it's something that is well developed and we have partners. We have several, in, in this case, this is a Odyssey 7Q Plus and it's possible to record the FS RAW onto it. So you can record, it's the same as the uh, FS700 in the sense that you can record 4K up to uh, 60p continuously. And it is possible uh, to record also burst of, of, of the signal as well at a high frame rate. And in the case of uh, 2K, we can go to a maximum of 240 frames per second. That's excellent. So just for my own information so that since I own this setup, how would this setup compare if I'm outputting RAW and recording it to something like an FS7 or even a higher Sony camera? Well, this is a, in, in the case of the FS5, it's very simple because we already have a BNC connector. So the BNC connector uh, has dual function, just like in an FS700. So it either, um, in, some, in some instances, it, it is uh, just a HD, 10-bit, 4 to 2 always, always available. Uh, or when you uh, select FS RAW as your uh, recording format, then uh, it's, the camera spits out the Sony proprietary FS RAW signal through here. And we have developed an SDK that we provide to our partners, like Odyssey, uh, Convergent Design, and that uh, uh, signal is then decoded and we present that uncompressed uh, signal to them, a Bayer pattern, and then they're able to then convert that into uh, ProRes now as well. So that's, that's a pretty cool thing. It's pretty cool. So from an image quality standpoint, say the sensor chain all the way to the RAW, what are we looking at comparing the FS5 to other cameras? Well, I think that Sony has a lot of expertise in this regard in recording RAW. Uh, the way we did it, do it is very clean. Uh, it's not going through the, all the DSP, so it is bypassing the sensor. It has a separate path, and we're getting pretty much the information that is in the sensor. This is really important because now there's a lot of interest in the high dynamic range recording. And so, 12-bit uh, gives you the ability to capture. Do you have enough gradations to be able to 
uh, capture high dynamic range and be able to grade it. Uh, if you're trying to use uh, less bits, uh, then you won't have enough steps. You try to you bring something out of the blocks or try to pull the sky. You may have banding. So uh, 12-bit gives us um, um, very wide range uh, to work with. I know I'm really excited about that. So um, with my monitor, um, I mean with my system, I was noticing that there were there might be some limitations when you're actually recording internally as well as sending information out through the ports. Are there it through the HDMI in in some um, because it's a limitation of the of the hardware of the of the camera. So when you're recording 4K then it cannot do it simultaneously to internal and external and, then, and so um, it, the, you, you may lose the, the viewfinder information. The, the thought is that then you can use the, the monitor on the external recorder then to use that as a, as a, as a viewfinder. Okay, so that limitation still exists. Does it still exist in the raw mode when you're outputting raw? Can you monitor the signal on here? You can, yes. So when you're, um, uh, when you're uh, uh, putting out raw, the viewfinder and the LCD are active. And that's because the processor is not taxed as much. It's, it's a completely different, separate path. Got it. Um, so, for example, say I had the BNC connector connected to the Odyssey, and then I had an H, the HDMI connector connected to a, another system. Would, would the LCD then deactivate if I was recording internally? When you're, so the, the concerns are when you're using the HDMI, because then the HDMI, oh, <laughs> the HDMI is, is what is then using the resources that would have been used for the viewfinder. So really it's the HDMI. You can't do that, yeah. Okay, so the HDMI is just using a little too much processing power. Exactly, so as long as it's HD, it's, it's not a problem. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there was a... Hey, that's, that's, that's a different story. Okay, but that's okay because I'll be, from now on I'll probably be outputting raw to this thing. Exactly. And then this gives you, uh, has beautiful tools to set the exposure, and, and um, focusing, so you're really not giving up all of the nice functionality that we're putting into the LCD panel or the viewfinder. So um, I think that it's nice that at least these things are available in the recorder as well. That's great. So, well, I'm really excited about this uh, for myself, and I'm think, I think this brings the FS5 to a different level, in my opinion, of cinema cameras. What do you think? Absolutely, and we're going to continue to um, uh, improve the performance and develop uh, the camera. So, yeah, so just like with the FS7, that we keep adding functionality and making the camera ever more powerful and more useful. And so, and and quite frankly, we have a very wide color gamut. Um, other cameras manufacturers don't say what their color what the color gamuts are. We've explained what the size of the color gamut is. And um, I was speaking with Alistair Chapman and he was telling me that he had shot some stuff with the, with the F5 and uh, RAW and uh, some, he, he chases storms and lightning storms and tornadoes and all that stuff. And he told me that he was completely uh, blown away because he regraded the stuff he had shot previously in RAW 
in linear raw and he regraded it in HDR, he, he couldn't believe it. Yeah, how good he looked. Uh, and so even his wife, uh, he bought an HDR set for his home and his, and his wife could clearly see the difference. So I think that HDR is something that everyone can appreciate. I, you know, I, I believe that some people may not be able to see the difference between 4K or HD uh, as, as, as well, but HDR, it's, it's easy to, to be discerned by just virtually anyone. And, and uh, having a camera that can capture this very wide range, the 14 stops, uh, and have enough gradations to be able to capture it and grade it, uh, it's a great thing. That's really excellent. So uh, I know you can't reveal any secrets of new developments, but any hints that you can give us for the future? Well, we're going <laughs> to, we will continue to uh, develop and uh, there'll be more announcements uh, before the end of the year that may be interesting to all of our... You heard it here. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Juan. You've been, you've been excellent. Really nice meeting you too as well. This is Keith Moreau, Tech Move, Cinegear 2016, signing off for now. Sony's own Juan Martinez uh, talking about, of course, the FS5 RAW update uh, to our very own Keith Moreau of Tech Move. Keith, $500 update. Uh, update, upgrade, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, actually 600 Oh, is that right? Yeah, because I just bought it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, very good. So they they got another extra hundred bucks out of you, then, huh? I guess so. Yeah, yeah I think it. I think it was six hundred. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. They well, said hey, five. Hey, yeah. it allows twelve bit linear raw. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, it can record four uh, K at sixty p. Mm -hmm. uh, all this kind of neat stuff. Yep. W what do you think? Oh, I think it's really, really cool really you know, uh, yeah so you're so, so you made the foray you you jumped in feet for 600 bucks for this upgrade mm -hmm. and you think it's going to be great yeah i think it's going to be great i i ordered it i upgraded my fs5 to 2.0 which i it the 2.0 just came out a little while ago uh you need to have firmware 2.0 for this raw update to take effect so or to be even possible to upgrade and then you have to go to this and I was kind of fun. I was, you know, I talked about how they deliver their, you know, their serial number or their unlocking thing. So you don't, you don't right. have to send your camera back. You just get this box with you get this that box. You get printed. that nice little cigarette box with, uh, yeah, that that they send you. Like it's almost like Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. And you're waiting <laughs> to get that golden ticket. Yep. And inside, and I got the box. And inside the the box is. Uh, Did you run around like a little schoolboy with the little <laughs> box and getting your number and stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. I was like yes. telling my neighbors, "I got the FS5 for update. <laughs> <laughs> Spread the word." <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, but but I was actually trying to I was trying to joke with Juan Martinez about uh, how how <laughs> how dumb it was to send out a little box with a right. serial number. Right. And like, but he and thought it was genius, and so he wasn't finding it funny at all. <laughs> he, did, he didn't think the thing about, was there gold in there? How much does it weigh? You know? <laughs> so he was well, just not hey, buying it. Hey, hey, you know what? In his defense, he's an older man. <laughs> he's an older man. He's, you know, uh, you know, he's not... 
You know, he's probably think, not he, his comedy. His his comedy uh, references are probably like more like Jackie Gleason or something <laughs> like that. You know, I don't know about that, but he. I think he did get the joke, but he just didn't want to. He didn't want right. to go along with it. Yeah. He was just playing it cool. But and anyway, he, no, he's, he's very proud of his update. He's very proud of his update. Yeah, no, he's he's, a, he's actually kind of legendary in Sony. I mean, he's been there forever, and yeah. he's actually very passionate. And I think a lot of the great stuff Sony's come out with in their cinema lines. Partially, you know, because of him. Sure. So, um, so kudos to him, and thanks, and thanks, Juan, for the interview. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. I'm gonna, I'm really happy. I'm really excited about upgrading my Sony and having it spit out raw and recording on my Convergent Design uh, Odysseys. Uh, so the question that I have for you: How do you apply this update? Is it just regular like firmware type of stuff? Are you downloading some sort of package that you put on an SD card and you launch it, or how, how does it work? Um, you basically, I think, you download an app from a special Sony website, right? And, and I think in order to download it, you have to enter this serial number key, which I will now provide to the Tech Move audience. Not Wait, it, right. Hey, hey, it costs you six hundred bucks. There's no way you're you're sharing that thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then you just uh, provide the serial number, and then you, um, I mean, I do have I have the instructions right in front of me. It's like you go to the site, you enter the you enter the serial number, uh, you verify it's correct, and then it will download a file, and then you put the file onto an SD card ah, yeah, and then you press menu uh, the menu for the install option and click OK and then it churns and updates it. Just like the way I almost bricked the GH1 <laughs> to the GH13. Just, yeah, just, just the same way. Just don't unplug your... Well actually in this case it's kind of hard to mess this up but if you're doing like the regular like the regular free updates yeah. that this has yeah Boy, right before the show, because I was thinking maybe doing an update on the show here. Um, right before the show, I was upgrading my my uh, thing through the USB cable, which is it's an app, and you connect it to your Mac or PC, and you connect a USB cable, and it interacts with your FS5. Sure. And you're not supposed to unplug the USB cable during this process. And I just tripped over the USB cable and pulled it out <laughs> while it was, uh, was wonderful. Like, no, please, no. <laughs> wonderful. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Well, I kind of went into a panic, like, oh, boy. And right. then I turned, I think it had just started, like, had, nothing had happened. Oh, okay. It, it had just kind of done the, re it restarts the FS5 as part of the initial process without erasing anything. Okay. <clears throat> and and then, and so I just turned off the power, and I I actually just, because the red, red light, like, that it was working was on, on the FS5, and I just, <clears throat> I, uh, took the battery out and just made sure it was all off. Right. And then I put it all back together and turned it on and it, it turned and it went back to the old firmware. So oh, you lucky dog. <sighs> it was lucky a few dog. Minutes. Oh, yeah. A few man. minutes of panic. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, great. So. Very good. Well, uh, that would have been hilarious. I'll that tell you that. That would have been hilarious. Like really depressed. That would have been fantastic. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, I would have felt bad for you, but it would have been great for uh, our listeners. So yeah, I, I like I pay six hundred dollars for the firmware update, but then I just bricked my FS five. Right, you just bricked the camera, never yeah. to uh, to be able to be used again. Yeah. I had to send it back to the factory. 
All right. Uh, that's the Sony. I, I, I'm sure in uh, one of our uh, future episodes, you'll tell us about how the uh, update went yep. and, and its output and, and what you're getting from it and stuff like that. So we'll cover that in another future episode. How about that? Yep. Okay, great. Juan Martinez of Sony. And uh, we will come back with another interview of Tech Moves continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. It's Rod and Keith. We'll be right back. Keith, we're winding down our interview segments of uh, Cinegear 2016, and our final special guest that we have is Nick Lamke from Film Tools. Yep. And I really found this interview to be very interesting because of just all the really cool tools grip heads that he has for you know and clamps for all these smaller uh consumer type of items yeah the film tools i don't know how i got turned on to film tools but i i actually got a bunch of their stuff several years ago because they they started um creating these mini clamp systems for uh, all kinds of mounting. Like I, I got really into car mounting stuff yep. a while yep. back, and and uh, you know the, the the standard Cardellini clamp is like um, it's kind of like a like two discs with a little slot for for uh, a rod, uh, like a half inch rod or maybe five inch inch rod, mm-hmm. and they're used all the kinds. It's kind of like a boom, like a mic boom stand sized, uh, you know that thing that you use to adjust the the angle. Of a and 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 if the boom slips in and out, right. of a uh, of a mic stand, it's kind of like that. Um, and there's two of them, so these are used like universally in all kinds of film setups, like for gigantic film sets and things. So what they did was they just scaled it down, and they went to three eighths inch rods, which are a lot thinner and smaller. Mm-hmm. And so everything is just smaller, but it's still strong, strong enough for you know even SLR sized cameras. So oh, wow, yeah. So um, I, I use it for all kinds of stuff. I even adapt their stuff for other things, like put them on light stands and add little extra legs to things. And so anyway, I, I love those those particular clamps. But they sell all kinds of film gear and equipment and and a lot of grip type type gear. So um, and and Nick was always I passed their booth like several times because they were right at the entrance to Cine Gear. And I said oh, I got to I got to interview those guys. And Nick was always in the front, you know, always smiling and seemed like a really nice person. And then. The last day, I went there and I said, so who do I talk to to interview uh, film tools? Because I want to interview one of you guys. And and he said, um, I'm not sure. I said, should I should I be interviewing somebody with an official film tool tool shirt? Because he was just standing there. He looked like, like yeah. a bystander. Right. And and he said, well, I actually am with film tools. And I said, should I be interviewing you or somebody else? And he <laughs> said, uh. And he kind of like asked the other people and they, none of them wanted to do it. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, so we got him, and he was really fun. He was just instant uh, rapport with him, and we joked around. Great, yeah, great, good. <laughs> well, well, well. Let's uh, l- let's get to this interview. It's 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 uh, it turned out really really great. So uh, here is Nick Lamke of Film Tools, along with Keith Moreau, and our continuing coverage of Cinegear 2016. Hi, this is Keith Monroe, Tech Move, Cinegear 2016. We're here at the Film Tools booth. They're a Moviola company, and I'm here with Nick. Nick uh, is working for Film Tools, and Nick is going to talk to us about some of his products. 
Hey guys, so what we have showing up today is uh, whenever someone stops at Film Tools, we, uh, we always get asked questions, how do I mount something? Uh, I got a problem, how do I achieve a solution for it? And so what we wanted to do is bring out some solutions for people to see how we solve their problems. So today we're looking at a Harley. It's a beautiful Harley and we've got two different ways of mounting cameras on it. We've got a GoPro mount over here uh, using the Red Rock Cobalt Cage. Uh, using our teeny-weeny grip gear and some Cardellini clamps to make sure it all stays secure and safe and uh, structured at all times. And behind you we have more of a teeny-weeny grip gear with some Manfrotto ball heads, uh, some stainless solid uh, uh, rods to help it stay sturdy as well on the front of the bike. Um, other things we're showing off, uh, tripods, carts, which we are a huge uh, seller and, and builder of, um, and anything else you're going to need to make sure your your film goes smoothly. That's great. So. Um I'm not sure when Moviola got involved with your company. Maybe you could tell me about that. Uh, Moviola uh, acquired us in 2014, uh, summer of 2014. We have had an awesome transition. All they've done is strengthen our brand. We have a huge uh, collection of companies that are under the same umbrella name. Uh, we have uh, Moviola.com, which is an education facility. Uh, we do both uh, online training as well as we have a physical uh, Moviola education center in Hollywood that you can take uh, post-production classes so you can learn some of the newest uh, editing and post-production softwares. Uh, we have uh, Pro Video Coalition which is an awesome independent uh, news site that you can find all about uh, the industry news uh, both production and post-production. Um, we have Moviola Digital which is full-on post-production services all throughout the city of Los Angeles. Um, we've got 200 some odd uh, Avid edit, edit stations uh, that you can rent and uh, use for your filmmaking needs. That's pretty cool. So, are you familiar with these uh, mini type of uh, clamps, and can you demonstrate one of them? So, so what these are are teeny weeny grip heads. So, what we did was we miniaturized the grip head that you would normally see on a C stand. Uh, they're three eighths base, so anything smaller than a, a a baby pin, that's what you're looking at. Um, and they're just functional for lighter camera systems and grip ideas. Ideas. I actually love these things. I actually have a set of these. I use them with the suction cups, oh, yeah. and I mount them to cars and other things like that. And I actually, yeah, um, Nick's gonna get uh, Nick's gonna go get uh, some of these little clamps. These are pretty cool because these are kind of like the gigantic uh, standard movie-sized ones, but the, the movie-sized ones are about twice as big, and the rods are about twice as big, and so they kind of miniaturized it, and it's really great because you, they're very portable. And you can just take these little rods anywhere, and you have these little, little gripper Cardellini grips. And as you can see, it's just great for weird mounting situations. So I doubt you can see it on here, but this is our, our basis of our teeny weeny grip head right here. And they just work just like regular grip heads. Um, the dual, dual rod placements. So you just use your three eighths based everything, and that's what they are. And then what you're talking about are our suction cups. So this is a three-axis camera mount system, so you can mount a camera uh, anywhere you want on a car, any other solid surface that is non-porous, glass, um, painted car, bodies, things like that. I've been seeing a number of the uh, magnetic uh, versions of these. Is that something that you're thinking of carrying? Uh, we do a, a small amount of magnetic stuff through uh, rig wheels, uh, which they uh, make awesome stuff, uh, but that's as far as we get into it as we uh, go through other manufacturers. I could see a combination of the rig wheels plus these to, for a lot of setups. Oh, definitely. Uh, rig, rig wheels are making awesome products. Um, we don't always have them uh, readily available, but we, we, we can get them for you. Yeah. That's cool. What other products are you really excited about? Uh, we, we really like the Danny Dolly. Um, this, Tell me about that. The Danny Dolly is... Oh, yeah, let's go. The Danny Dolly is a really cool system. Uh, it's I'm simple. Yeah, yeah. 
It's simple and unique. We're showing off the tripod version right here, but we also or, uh, hi hat version, sorry, but we also do the the flat based normal one. Uh, this is our curve track that they uh, they've developed for it um, through American Grip and the American Grip stands that, that go along with it. Uh, we just really like the simplicity and the ease of use for these things. What's what's the secret to this? Why is this special? The wheels. Uh, they've they found the right solution for the wheels. They're, they're soft enough that they dampen any type of issues that you might find on track, but also hard enough that they're not going to um, bounce around and feel gummy. That's really cool. Well, Nick, you've been really awesome today. You were really friendly. Just when we were walking by, you were, you were the face of your company. And I think uh, Nick needs a raise to the folks out there. I'm sure your bosses at Moviola will be listening to this podcast because, you know, they always do. And Moviola is going to say, Nick, give that guy a raise. Whatever his salary is, double it or triple it. Because with the hat and the shirt that does not match the other guys, Nick really stands out. So thanks a lot, Nick. Thanks a lot, Keith. Have a great day. This is Keith Moreau, Tech Move, Cinegear 2016, signing off for now. You know what I really like about film tools, uh, not besides all these, like, cool clamps and and other things that they're famous for but man oh man that slider track was so cool in that video <laughs> it was pretty cool i really loved it i mean that was like uh that was like you know hollywood style dolly track type of stuff but it seemed very compact and and something that you know we all could get yeah yeah it was it was pretty cool um their whole, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to go through their whole booth and interview them. Oh, there's too them, much. But, there's too yeah. much stuff. Yeah, and and if you go to their website, it's it's pretty amazing. And they they recently got acquired like a year and a half ago or two years ago by Moviola, which I guess we recognize Moviola from the name. I guess Moviola was one of the first projectors or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't even know, but it's got it's got the name. I don't know. I don't know if there's any con- connection to the original company, Moviola. But they've been buying all these kind of cinematography-related uh, companies. And so Film Tools was one of those companies. So now Nick not only works for Film Tools, but he works also for Moviola and does a lot of stuff for Moviola. So that's kind of cool, too. I think that that's great. And, yeah. uh, and uh, very personable. I really like the interview. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I would certainly uh, will be looking at the Film Tools uh, website to take a look at some of the things that I could use personally mm-hmm. um, because I think that you know they ha- I, what I like about them is that they reach a very wide audience you know yeah. not, not only your pros but also your everyday consumers and everyone can kind of get in on this stuff yeah and it, and the stuff's not overpriced right it's, it's a pretty good deal right yeah. fantastic well yeah. hey that is uh, thank you so much to film tools and especially to Nick Lampke uh, for spending time with us. Uh, Keith, thank you very much for, for that. And we will come back with more closing thoughts of the 2016 Cinegear conference, get-together, party, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we will come back with our closing thoughts on that right here on Tenmoo. Another fantastic uh, effort by Keith Moreau to bring us into the world of 
Cinegear 2016. Mm-hmm. For all of us uh, mortal men here uh, on Tech Move uh, who could not be there live, I'm certainly glad that you were able to get such a wealth of interviews, uh, especially from people that you know uh, we like talking to and talking about mm-hmm. on our podcast. So that's mm-hmm. really fantastic. Thank you very much, Keith. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It was really a blast. I love doing this stuff. So uh, let, let's let's as we kind of wrap up this episode, let's quickly talk about some of the things that that you came away with. Is there anything here that you uh, maybe uh, is not reflected in the interviews? That maybe some other things you you did, you went to, you saw that we didn't get interviews on. Um, let's see. Yeah. Uh, I think they could improve their food service there at Cinegear. <laughs> I think, uh, considering how legendary Hollywood food service is, it was the craft pretty, food service that yeah, uh, was pretty that, dismal. It was yeah. was it well like hot dogs and chips or something was, like it that. It was like hot dogs, chips, uh, Mexican food, in and out. But the th- problem was that the lines were really long. Really, there's no yeah, and there's really no place to eat your food. Like, the, there's not very much table space. Not much seating or anything like that. Well, there kind of is some, but it's anyway. It's just very like it's just a long wait. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's okay. That so, was right. uh, are you recommending to our listeners out there when you go to Cinegear next year, you should bring your own your own lawn chairs uh, and yeah. pack them on your backs I, and uh, and bring them with you? Right. Well, maybe uh, Alessandro and and Kenji can develop like a combination combo thing, like a lawn chair and. And a Com- gimbal, hammock, gimbal, and a, yeah, like and a, a, ha- and a hammock, and a, ham- and a hammock, and 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 incorporate the the jib. I mean the uh, the gimbal, the the gimbal support system along with the little seating for Cinegear. The ready rig not only holds the FS5 and C100, but also put on this fantastic canvas hammock and uh, rock yourself to sleep, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, it's a sleep aid as well. Um, actually, so so the thing about Cinegear was really fun. I was really trying to squeeze a couple more interviews in at the end. Like I wanted to do this really, like I wanted to to interview the Rotolite guys, but they just they were like parking and they didn't ever came back. So and then by the time I came back, they were like tearing down their booth. I mean, five Cinegear ended on Saturday at five p.m. That's the official you know time it ends. Right. And and at five. At 5 p.m., not even a second later, people were ripping off their their banners and they were packing up their stuff and they were stuffing their boxes. They couldn't wait to get home, right? It was like, let's get out of here. <laughs> and it just like ended abruptly. Everybody was just jetting out, you know, like having a traffic accident and getting out of the parking lot. So, um, and we actually, so we tried to leave uh, and we couldn't, we couldn't get out. We, we didn't want to go through the main entrance. We wanted to go through a different uh, entrance exit and all, they were all closed. So we wound up uh, going to like the main lobby of of uh, Paramount Studios, which was kind of fun. It was totally deserted. It was really weird, but they had all these posters of like Teenage Ninja Mutant Turtles and all the right. other like Ben Hur and all these other um, movies that they were coming out with, and it was it was kind of funny. It was like a night at the museum or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so but it was it was it was really a blast. So and one of the things that we did, there, I, I did want to. Uh, they have a bunch of like seminars as well. Um, and I wanted to attend at least one of them. So I did, because they have these theaters, these actual projection theaters, I think where they do screenings and things. They're fairly large theaters. Sure. Um, and so I saw this one 
called the Dialogue with AS- ASC, and it was actually really cool. Um, what does ASC stand for? Do you know? It's the American Society of Cinematographers. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah, so you see, if you see movies and stuff, you'll see um, the cinematographers oh, yeah. will have that comma ASC behind them. They'll have usually. that designation at the end yeah. of their names. Yeah, like, and I think like we, mine does for JD because of my law degree that I right yeah where for I the law degree everybody in the world right like PhD right or, which I have one or, of those too yeah it, your PhD or right. your MFSD. No, I don't know what that. Um, or, or, <laughs> or my ID, IOT, T- T- TM, right, my H, Tech Move host. Um, anyway, there's a bunch of things. But so George, okay, so this was really cool because it was it was like ten or eleven DPs that are just like the cream of the crop. These are guys that you know shot Jurassic Park, that did you know the Terminator, that did, like that did like. A list super blockbuster mega movies. The, they were they're the director. These, for these guys are up for Academy Awards like they, every year. Yeah, they're up for them. They've won them. Uh-huh. The 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 moderator was a really funny, uh, old, little older gentleman named George Spiro DB. Who's really funny and he's done a bunch of stuff. But they're just there's if you go through the list, David Klein, Dean Cudley, Daniel Pearl, who's really famous. James ne- Neilhouse, Lisa Weingard, who, who does a lot of uh, TV stuff, uh, Dave Perkall, Michael Goy. Um, he's the, he's the guy that um, he shoots sh- shoots a lot a lot of stuff. You know, like these these guys are doing like you know The Walking Dead and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chuck Minsky, Cynthia Puchek, Bill Bennett, and Donald Morga were the guys in this, and it was really cool because they just it was like this forum, and they all just talked like they they talked about stuff for a little while and then they answered questions from the audience and the question they hated the most was what camera would you buy you know <laughs> they just hate that was like don't talk to me about cameras it's like if anybody asked that question they would just like eject them from the room is that right they, they, didn't, they didn't want to answer that kind of thing no they well they they were asked a few technical questions you know like uh a couple of people asked them about Lytro. Because Lytro, okay, you know about Lytro, it's that f- camera that can focus on different planes of, like you take one picture, but then you can later in post-production, you can decide where you want the focus to be. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So there's a there's a new Lytro, because Lytro, the company itself is probably going bankrupt because nobody bought their cameras because they're very specialized. <laughs> and they're too expensive. And they're, well, yeah, the, they're, yeah, the consumer cameras are not that expensive, but just for what you get, the resolution stuff is like. I'd rather get a 5D Mark III or something. Right. So, um, but they, but Lytro has also developed the cinema camera, which can collect a huge amount of data and, 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 and record cinema, cinematography, you know, real, real stuff, not like a teeny little video camera that's low quality, but like a huge, you know, huge resolution, like 4K or 6K mm. uh, in this multi, multi uh, focus point uh mode uh the thing the problem is that that the actual camera is like the size of a mac truck it's gigantic and uh so they asked them about that and they said yeah it's it's good but it's too big right now but maybe in the future you know stuff like that but that was like the only technical there weren't too many technical questions which which was good it's more like how do you approach it how do you plan uh what's going through your mind when you when you look at this you know and it was their answers were, were were pretty cool so it was very it was really cool just to see these people that are that are legendary talk about um, about their craft. So That's like that, that is pretty neat. Yeah, so I like that. 
so did <laughs> did nobody answer the question of what they own personally or in their own arsenal or anything like that? Nothing. No. And and, and you know what I find? Because I listen to a lot of podcasts and other kind of recorded stuff. How dare stuff you? DP, right. sorry. Yeah. Uh, I do listen to ours the most, though. Good. That's important. Because uh, I have to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, uh, you know, most DPs don't, they don't like to talk about their gear too much. I wonder why. Why is that? I think because, I think because the actual really, really high-end DPs, they don't really deal with the gear mm-hmm. that closely. It's mm-hmm. not like they're touching the camera that much. Mm-hmm. They might do some tests where they're, you know, people like Jerry or their camera operator uh, or their second, second in charge is is uh you know kind of managing the the tech right you know, getting the stu- getting the right stuff build up the camera and stuff and they they just they're the they're the cinematographers are more the guys that make it look good like set the lights up or or direct the lighting their lighting crew to make it look really really nice they don't care so much about the acquisition as much right they might do some tests with cameras to make sure they're not gonna shoot themselves in the foot by choosing their own camera right but but yeah they don't i think they're more the the higher end ones are more like you know people like me are more like yeah we like the gear we need to know the gear and make sure that the image is great but we're but those guys they're they're already going to be renting something that's super high end or somehow their production company is going to going to get that so they don't care so much about the gear right yeah so that's 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 my take on it yeah <laughs> yeah that's uh, i mean that 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 sounds about right that yeah. sounds about right yeah. yeah oh yeah one thing that i actually forgot to talk about Though in uh, in the last episode, the NAB, uh, the irrelevant NAB <laughs> show, was um, was uh, and actually my my so my niece uh, stayed over my house while I was in was while I was at NAB. Right. Okay. So she was here, actually staying with my mom, and she was she's great. Her name's Leah, and uh, she actually mentioned to me that she had listened to episode thirty. Of Tech Move. Oh. And just recently, like three days ago, she texted me. She said, and you, and you forgot to mention your awesome niece. So I uh, I said, okay, I'm going to mention you in the next episode. So I think, I'm, I, think I briefly mentioned that there was a near disaster uh, of my tickets at NAB in the last show. But I didn't really go into detail. I think I forgot. Um, but I want to talk about the story. So w- this is a, you know, NAB, this is uh, mid-April or whatever. Uh, we get to the airport, SFO, Veronica and I, and it, we're plenty early. We're like about 45 minutes early, you know, before we have to, to board. Yep. Um, or actually 45 minutes by like before the light flight goes. So we've got about 20 minutes before we get to board. And then I'm kind of looking at the, you know, just the, the sign that talks about the flights and where, where the gates are. And then I realize I do not have my NAB passes. Uh-oh. I did not pack them with me. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hmm. well done well done yeah and so i know that i have about 25 minutes before i need to get on the plane Uh before they start boarding Uh so okay what are my choices okay i can call nab and see if they can generate new passes because i've actually been in other shows you know like the the apple some of the apple conferences right they will not issue you a new pass these things are like gold like once if you if you lose your pass you cannot get another one you're you cannot get into the show. Too bad for you. Yeah, and I'm not. Sh- I don't really know what the policy was in NAB, and I didn't really ask them later. But I was thinking, hmm, should I go through the trouble of trying to get new passes there and maybe not get them? 
or should I try to get the passes that I have at home? And luckily, I live fairly close to the airport. Uh-huh. So like I said, I'm going to try to see if I can get <laughs> Leah to Uber it to the airport <laughs> to deliver these this, NIB passes. This poor girl. You, 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 you know what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, so I call her up and Poor I say, I'm, I'm calling Uber now to pick you up so you can come to the airport. And so I, I set that up. And she did it. She did it in like five minutes. She was able to get an Uber and on their way. But it's still like a 15-minute ride. So, and then I sent Veronica's million. I sent her on to the actual gate to tell them that I was going to be at the wire. Mm-hmm. And and so, and then I'm actually talking, because the, the security line is really long. So she's not going to be able to get through security. So I start talking to the security people that are past the security line. And I said, so here's my situation. I need to get these passes. If I don't get them, I probably can't go to the show. That's the whole purpose of the trip. My niece, Leah, is going to be here. And uh, she's going to be up at the front. of. And they said, okay, we'll send somebody up to meet them and pass these tickets through Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. Like, so she doesn't have to go through security. So I had to arrange all this, orchestrate all these things. And I I told them what she looked like and... And at the time, you know, it was, it took about 15 or so minutes for them, for her to get here. Right. They, they met her, the security person who was very nice and really helpful TSA people, um, gave me the passes from Leah. It was like the plane was actually a, like they were about ready to close the doors timing wise. So I rushed with all my luggage and the passes, just ran rolling my, my two carry-ons. Like you were OJ Simpson. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. With my carry-ons. Right. Ran as fast as I could when it wasn't that close to the to the uh, I think it was Virgin America, mm-hmm. and they were just about to close the doors, and I got on. With wow. The passes. <laughs> okay, you know this begs the question. This begs the question. Isn't there some sort of email confirmation you could have used? Is there, you know, uh, uh, was there a soft copy you could have just pulled up on your phone? You know, QR code that, that, you know, that was available? Anything like that? I think it's possible Mm -hmm. that I could have gotten all that stuff, but I didn't. I had to make a decision, like, because sometimes they will not be that generous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I remember in the past... I remember that people have lost their passes for whatever event and they've just been barred. Hmm. Like once you get this, that's it. They don't regenerate them. So I, I guess it's possible, but I also didn't, I thought it would you didn't be want less, to take a chance. Yeah. I didn't want to take a chance cause I wasn't sure of the outcome. Right. At least if I got these, t- these passes, I knew that I'd be sure I knew I'd get in. Right. So that's why I decided to do that. And also it makes a good story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think poor Leah deserves some sort of gift from you for all that does. for 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 all that uh, effort and uh, and trouble that uh, she was put through. So yeah, she uh, does. But she gets she also gets to tell the story about her uncle Keith, right? <laughs> which frankly, probably, probably I, enough I don't know do. if anyone would really care. For- <laughs> Well, I heard it from all of her relatives. Oh, you did? Oh, <laughs> yes. good. Oh, good. So they gave you grief then. They did. Yes. That's excellent. That, that Uncle Keith. He's Wonder- always on the edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, well, hey, congratulations. That is great. That is terrific. Well, uh, again, Keith, thank you so much for uh, going out to... Uh, uh, to Cinegear 2016 and landing all those great interviews. Uh, the podcast couldn't survive without that. Otherwise, it'd just be more you of me uh, endlessly talking about 
what purchases you've made and what purchases I refuse to make. So Which we can look forward to in our next episode. We will look forward to a full episode of that in our next episode. But uh, Keith, fantastic work. Again, uh, a great job of interviews, great job of recording, uh, and great job of getting out there and uh, and suffering through the heat and the poor uh, uh, concession stands that were out there. Uh, and, and I guess this concludes our almost live continuing coverage. <laughs> coverage. Yes. Uh, con- uh, uh, our, our continuous. Con- continuous. What, what seemed to be endless coverage. <laughs> Of Cindy Gear 2016. That th- this is where it ends, folks. And uh, I don't know how many hours this is. Uh, I mean, this outro right now is already like almost 17 minutes right now. So who knows how these poor people are going to survive through this darn thing? But anyway, uh, let's end it now before everyone kills themselves. And uh, let's just say that we will return uh, on our next episode of tech move with a full brand new uh episode of new thoughts new things keith has acquired uh my uh teasing of him for doing such things uh we've got more of that in store in our next episode but until then thank you very much for joining us on our 2016 cinegear special edition of tech move i am rod louis uh, what is my name? I am Rod Louie, and with me is Keith Moreau. I am so numb by, by all this Cinegear stuff, I cannot tell you. But anyway, thank goodness it's over. We wait again until next year. Oh, there's no more shows, right? There's no more shows? Um, are, are there any more? There might be one more. We can talk about it next time. Well, we can look forward to that, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Another show. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we we got a lot more in store. We got a lot of new things. The, 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 there's plenty of things that are out there that we need to talk about. New gear that's out there, and a surprising thing that I'm going to reveal. Ooh, uh, yeah, can't wait. Uh, can't wait. Uh, I'm going to reveal that uh, in our next episode. Uh, but until then, let's call this a wrap. And uh, again, you can reach us through our website techmovepodcast.com. You can reach us on Facebook. How do you do that? What fa- uh, tech move? Something like that. I don't know. Tech, tech move podcast. Everything is tech move podcast. What yeah. we're on Facebook. We're on the Twitter. We're on the uh, Stitcher thing. We're on the. Uh, uh, what else are we on? We're on. Uh, we're everywhere. We're everywhere. We're omnipresent. Oh, and most of all, importantly, help support the podcast for more of this nonsense by going uh, Amazon.com, right? Slash well, Tech Move Podcast? Tech move. <laughs> it's TechMove.com slash Amazon. See, don't listen to me. I'm almost... <laughs> I, 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 I'm myself in, in a coma right now. How do we get there again? Keith, What? how, how do you get there? Just go to TechMovePodcast.com slash Amazon. And that helps us uh, to, to keep this uh, silly thing on the air. So, uh, okay, Keith, I've had enough of you. You've had enough of me. Let's wrap it up. Another fantastic episode. We will see you next time on Tech Move. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.